2: listening to the Voices of
1: Wrestling Podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza... ...ex out go listen to some boring podcast where, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza, because Joe Lanza's not changing. ...and Rich Craig I a Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree.
0: Welcome once again to the Voices of Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I am Rich Craig alongside, as always the king of banter mr joe lanza joe what's happening
1: hello sir
0: you got any banter or are you ready to just get right into this
1: oh it's that awkward thing again where we bantered already for we
0: did we did talk we talked Ale central baseball and trade deadline and nobody wants to hear that at all that's pretty uninteresting stuff so yeah i don't know what to uh i don't know what to banter about i'm drinking a diet dr pepper one of your favorite drinks of all time so it, would you declare it your favorite drink of all time? Like if you had, you know, we talk about the the one match, the one wrestler, the the, the island game or whatever. Would, would that be your one drink that you would definitely go with forever?
1: No, you know it's Coke Zero.
0: Coke Zero, okay.
1: Yes, you know that. You know it's Coke phone? Zero. Is that a
0: rotary phone that you
1: just heard ring? I intentionally have the rotary phone ringer. So. Oh, you! you're so old. Because <laughs> the rest of the ringers on my phone are like... I can't... It's the only one I can tolerate. The rest of them are like these chimes and these fucking noises. I don't like it. I just want my phone to ring. And the only thing that can even closely replicate a phone ringing is the old-school rotary phone. That's the only option I have in, in the fucking phone. So, that's what I go with. Was that a scooper?
0: Was somebody calling you with a scoop or no?
1: Nah, I look like a... Um, Solicitor or something. It was an unknown number, so okay, nobody, all right, yeah, no, nobody has those.
0: call. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I have terrible ringtones uh, as well. I think I, I don't ever, ever actually. Do people, I don't know if people call them ringtones anymore, but I don't even. Um, I just keep it on vibrate all the time anyway. Like I don't even know what my actual phone ring is because I've just never. Yeah, because they're all horrible. But yeah, I, I guess I would pick the rotary phone one. So I, I apologize for calling you old. I, I well, I'm also old. So I maybe that's the reason why I was like, ah, that sounds. It's kind of a a, a, a fun sound, but I was wondering if you had like a. A rotary phone on like the side of your, you know, <laughs> where you go to no. with the, the super long I, cord with the little notepad next to it. So you take, hey, let me take
1: your number down. All right. I do not have a rotary phone in when's the house. When's
0: the last time you got rid of a rotary? When's the last time you had a rotary phone? When's the time, last time Joe Lanza uh, when he finally disconnected the rotary phone and, and said, this is it. I'm done with you.
1: I have no idea how old you think I am, but <laughs> I can tell you that I have never owned a house phone. So I'm probably not nearly as old as you think I am. I've so, never,
0: since you've moved out, you've always been cell phone.
1: Yeah, the last time I had a house phone was when I lived at home when I was in high school. I've never owned a house phone in my life in a home that I paid for. So, I'm trying to remember.
0: I, I, the first apartment I had had one, and I just asked them if they could like disconnect it because it would like sometimes ring, and I never gave anybody the number. I don't know what the number was. I have well, no idea. Yeah. I was just like, hey, can you just like... Like, I don't want to unplug it. Just, like, take it out of the wall. Like, it's just taking up space on the wall. People ask me, oh, my God, a rotary phone. Fo- not a rotary phone. But, like, what do you have with a house phone? I'm like, I know, I don't know. I've never used it. I don't know the
1: number. I don't know why they gave it to us. It was so silly. Wait. So, you're – the apartment came with a physical phone.
0: It did, yeah. And so, I guess you could have I, – I suppose I could have, like, called whatever company and had them hook it up for me or whatnot and transfer my number and all that. But it would, like – it would randomly – Like ring so I don't know I'm sure like it was whatever old number that some random person who moved out had done like I'm sure it would like pop up or whatever you know they get a robocall like you said but yeah for what inexplicable reason it would just like randomly start ringing and randomly and and, I had no idea why or or what was going on it had like a tone so I guess it was hooked up to something or someone but I never knew what it was and eventually they did go through and take them all out which is pretty good so
1: see I've had situations where I don't think so anymore but like when you would get internet set up, they'd give you a phone number. Oh
0: yeah, no, like my my internet always tries to do that. Every single time I try to update or pay my bill or do anything, they're like, "Hey, you want to add phone?" I'm like, "No, why would I want to add phone? What in why the hell in 2019 would I say? You know what? Yeah, hook me up with that house phone, baby. Let's do that. Let me pay an extra twenty bucks a month. Sometimes
1: that's not what I that's not well, what I mean though. What like I've had ISPs that were like, because I would have that argument. where I say, "Look, I don't want to pay for a phone line." They'd be like, "No, no, no, you have to have a phone number." To have this i'm like but it's not dial up they're like it doesn't matter you need a phone number to have our internet so then i'd be like all right whatever then and then they would give me a phone number and say well you can use this and hook up before i'm like i'm not interested
0: oh you know I, I might even i might actually have that to be honest that's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, like, no, sometimes
1: no. they give you a phone number
0: there's right? a very good chance i do have that and, and i just said don't don't send me a phone i don't know whatever yeah I'm, yeah I'm whatever 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 okay cool I'm never gonna use this number ever again so yeah I, I do know one time when i was trying to to upgrade my internet or something. They were actually going to give me like $40 off to get the phone line. And I was like, no, I don't even want it, man. And they're like, well, sir, it's like $40 less. And I was like, I just, just the idea of me adding a phone line to my, and I just knew that like, it was going to be an introductory thing. And then like a year later, it was going to skyrocket the price for this fucking phone line that I was never going to use. And I was like, I was like, no, dude, I'm, I'll, I'll pay the 40 bucks the rest of this year knowing full well that you're going to raise this thing up in another year or whatever. I don't want it. I just, it's just give me whatever rate I have, but why I don't want a phone number. I do not. And I remember that coming up uh, about two years ago. So
1: they are getting their money back and then some at some point, if you say yes to that, there's no way they're going to give you a free service and $40 off and then just let that ride oh exactly oh yeah i had
0: like do you ever get this where they try to add home security to you all the time like they they hound me like hey we'll save you a hundred dollars on your bill with this home security i'm like bullshit like get out of here like because i i i have i'm very pessimistic i never as you said i always know that at the end of the time (laughs) the end of the day xfinity slash comcast or whatever is not in the business of giving me services that I don't pay for and then also taking money off my bill. So I was like, nah, get the fuck out of here. I don't want home secured." And they're like, well, you don't care about your family? Like the guy on the phone line would be like, well, you want, you know, I, I almost thought, I, I almost had to- this idea. I almost had this idea that like somebody, they're going to send somebody and like rob my house and be like, see, we told you, you should have got like, only, you know, steal something small. You know, not, not anything big, but just be like, ah, you know, or like break a window or something. Be like, you know, see, you, you do need this security. Like, you know, sometimes it's not a bad idea if Xfinity's listening. They should do that. Is, is send that it is a someone's idea. House, yeah. Yeah. And be like, well, I mean, you know, this is why we tell everybody
1: to get it, you know. Send an assailant to your home. <laughs> right.
0: Your not like, yeah, not to do anything too bad, but maybe, you know, jiggle a, a, a door, you know, break a window, maybe steal a... a a, a PlayStation or something, you know, just something kind of tiny to, to, to steal watch, you a know.
1: PlayStation. That's that's like a four hundred dollar. Uh, I
0: know. I would be very th- upset by that. That is, I believe, the second most valuable thing I have in my entire house.
1: <laughs> I, think, you know, I, thought you, I thought you were going to say a toaster or something. You, you're going right for know. a PlayStation. Yeah,
0: they might as well take. This. I don't know if I don't know if I noticed they stole my toaster. I think it would take me at least six months before I noticed they stole my toaster. So,
1: do you own a toaster? Uh, I do. Yeah, I didn't own a toaster until I got married, and then the toaster somehow made its way into the house when we merged homes but I didn't own a toaster before then because I've never understood the concept of intentionally burning your bread I don't understand well, I do that. like
0: I do like toast but I really don't eat like sandwiches that much anymore so
1: well you you eat toasted peanut butter and jelly which is bizarre I do yeah I remember that from like six yeah, years ago that was
0: oh that's a real deep one yeah that's an old school one that was I was, I was in the, the 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 house phone apartment
1: at that time not only do I remember that, I discuss that with people in my real life. I say I know somebody. <laughs>
0: it can be it can be that bizarre, can it? Well, really?
1: I, I, well I'm cur- I, I always say listen, I know somebody who eats toasted peanut butter and jelly. Do you find this strange or do you not find this strange? I've been taking that poll for the last <laughs> 6 years because I found that so bizarre. And you you got real defensive about it too. Like you were you were in you were like incensed. I do remember that. That I did not ever hear of that, and you got like, and I was like, "Oh, take it easy there, guy. I just never heard of toasting the bread on a pita bread." Because again, I'm not a toast guy. I I I don't toast anything.
0: Well, what was the feedback you got from the poll? Is, is am I completely out to lunch there? Or?
1: I haven't met a single human who's ever heard of that. Really? So I don't know where you got that from. Um, but I guess you just enjoy. The crunch of the burnt bread with the peanut butter. I don't burn. I don't burn it. You know,
0: I I kind of keep it on the low end of the of the of the spectrum, just a little a little crispiness to it. Like like I don't know. Do you do you, if you grill hamburgers or whatever? Do you do you grill the buns or no? Do you just go straight
1: bun out of the bag? I don't like. I don't. I don't. I don't. No. I don't mess with my bread. I like my bread to beat away. It comes. I don't. No okay. toasters. No grilling buns. Not into it. I don't do it. Um, Never been a toast guy. It's just a weird. You know like. The old nails on the chalkboard thing, right? One of those sounds for me is when people are spreading butter on toast. You know that sound? Oh, okay,
0: like, it is. It is a little grindy. I, I get that for sure.
1: Ah, just goes right up my spine. What does an so, English
0: muffin do? Does that enrage you beyond belief? Because like that is the ultimate of like the the you know, it's got all the bums. I'm sure somebody somebody spreading butter over an English muffin is probably your worst
1: nightmare. It has the nooks and crannies, <laughs> right? Oh, of course, that's yeah. what it has. <laughs> Growing up, my mother was big on the English muffins. So yeah, it annoyed me to no end. She would put and and, and it would really annoy me because she'd put tuna on the English oh, muffin. Gross! I hate tuna. <laughs>
0: so that sounds
1: terrible. Lathered in my least favorite food item, mayonnaise. Oh, so
0: God. that's that's my mom too. My mom loves fucking mayonnaise and tuna and like egg salad with extra ma- like it's just disgusting. Yeah, so Ugh, I, yeah, I cannot I,
1: stand I, the mayonnaise. And then she'd bite into it so I'd get the crunch of the nooks and crannies of the toasted English muffin. And then the mayonnaise sound. And then when she would chew, you'd, you hear the mayonnaise smack in people's mouths when they're chewing, if you're not a mayonnaise enjoyer. And, it, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yes, and it's yeah. just, I can't even be in the same room. I can smell it, and I could hear that mayonnaise lip-smacking sound in, in your palate of the mayonnaise moving around in your mouth. And it and it, and it makes me nauseous. And I'm not a picky eater. Like, I'll eat almost anything else in the world, or I'll try it. Mayonnaise, though, is a non-starter. Can't do mayonnaise. You know the other weird thing I can't do? There's, like, one other food I can't eat. Capers. If I ever get a caper in my mouth and, like, bite, you know the flavor of a caper? or No, are you not feeling Yeah, with
0: I usually, like, well, they're usually, like, on you know, like I'll get a pasta dish and they'll be there, but yes. I usually don't end up eating them. I kind of end up just kind of like knocking them over to the side with my fork. Like I don't they think it, away. I'll be honest. I don't think I've ever like bit into it and been like, ah, there we go. That's a sensation. So I, I don't know if I've ever actually tasted one.
1: Capers and cloves. Those two things. I can't stand them. People put cloves into ham. I don't know if you ever had a slice Ooh, of ham. I've never, no,
0: no, I've never had that. There's
1: like a clove. Uh, the worst, but those two things and mayonnaise can't do it. Um, I know that rich hates the onions. This is how you know we've been doing this show too long. Just like
0: the onions. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, we're.
1: (laughs) Rich does not like the onions. And he's scarred as a young, youngster because his parents would just go to fast food establishments and they wouldn't say no onion. And they would just make Rich get the burger with the onion. And that probably enhanced your hate for the onion. I'm guessing absolutely.
0: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Sorry. My, my dog is barking in the background there, but uh, no, it would always do that. Or like my dad would just like cook stuff with onions, even though I was like, Hey, I don't, Hey, can you make this without onions? He's like, yeah, sure. And then like, lo and behold, I'd bite into a meatball and it's filled with onions. I'm like, what the fuck? Like,
1: right, cause, Cause he's <laughs> like, he's like, listen, you're eight. You don't get a set. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, I I'm the same way. Like with these kids, sometimes, sometimes I, you know, these things come up and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Brit, he's two. He doesn't get say. Yeah, he cannot have a say on this. He doesn't get a say. Like we're doing what we want in this situation. Like he's two years old, but uh, but yeah. So that's how your father was handling that. Basically, he's like, yeah, 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 no onions, whatever. But he wanted onions. So right. the 11- but he just made
0: it with all onions. Yeah, which yeah, I did. 11- I understand. Yeah,
1: the eleven year old's not winning that argument. You know what I mean? Like you're just gonna get brushed off, and you're gonna bite into a juicy onion. That's how it's gonna work. But now as an adult, you- your house has probably been onion free. Uh, you know, for your entire. Nah, adult. See now,
0: the nurse tries to slip onions and everything too. I'll, I'll tell her specifically, "Hey, no onions." And I come in, and it's got onions. She's like, oh, it's fine. Like the same thing my dad said, the same thing my mom said. I'm, I'm sick of it all. I just don't want to eat onions, people. All right, <laughs> it's not that hard. But uh, anyway, this, yeah, this went. Uh, you said we had no banter. There we go. We had some banter, but uh, we got plenty to get to. Oh, but I do want feedback though. By the way, anybody listening, tell me about the uh, the, the the toasted uh, peanut butter and jelly. I, I have a feeling we might have to put a poll up uh, on on at Voices Wrestling on Twitter just to see. But I'm sure it's gonna be a bloodbath with the yes no but i just want a few yeses you know what i mean i just want a validation from at least one other person i think would make me feel better because you've told me you've never encountered another person uh, at the time of our podcast where i think 10 people were listening at that time uh, all 10 of those people disagreed with me as well so now we're a little bit bigger so i hope uh I hope at least I get a few supporters of my toasted peanut butter and jelly, but uh, probably not. I I tend to... I, I just want you know five. I just want five people that say, yes, Rich, I'm with you. I also like toasted peanut butter and jelly, so hopefully it does happen. But uh, anyway, we got a lot to get to today. We're going to talk NXT TakeOver from last weekend. We are going to preview uh, New Japan's Dominion show also going on this weekend. We're going to put a bow on the Best of the Super Juniors and talk about the Best of the Super Junior final, including the debut of John Moxley. Uh, but unfortunately, Joe, we have to start this show with the uh, very, very Uh, Unfortunate news of a death in pro wrestling.
1: Yeah, Tsushi Aoki uh, passed away on June 3rd. A motorcycle accident, a one vehicle accident, crashed his motorcycle. I don't know a ton of other details, but uh, he did not uh, survive that crash. 41 years old. And, uh, you know, still smack dab in the middle of his wrestling career. All Japan pro wrestling junior heavyweight champion at the time of his death he had just won the title about two weeks earlier from uh from iwamoto so uh just absolutely tragic stunned everybody it's always going to be stunning when it's an accident and it's somebody um who is that young and in this case you know we've we've dealt with um a number of wrestling debts over the last few months uh, a, a lot of them you know older wrestlers like nikolai volkoff and most recently silver king who who died in the ring. And and, and that was a shocker and, and incredibly tragic. And here we have another wrestler who was still, um, you know, basically in his prime as a pro wrestler and as a, as, as a man, I mean, 41 years old is way too young. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, motorcycle accident. I'm not a big fan of the motorcycles. I'm not going no, to preach. I'm definitely not preach. as well. Yeah.
0: I've had, I've had, a, unfortunately a few friends that have, uh, have, have either been very seriously hurt or died on, on motorcycles. So yeah, I'm very, uh, not, I don't want to say anti-motorcycle, but uh, definitely not a huge fan of them. Like you said,
1: so not a big fan myself. Don't understand them. I mean, you know, my, my, well, I don't want to say stepfather, but the man, my mother married, but I was already an adult when she married him. So it's kind of weird calling him my stepfather. You know what I mean? But, uh, for, for the sake of the arguments, uh, my stepfather is a big motorcycle enthusiast, uh, not a fan of them um you know i had a friend in high school died in a motorcycle accident i just think they're 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 very dangerous um but uh that was the case here and and it's always just a little more shocking when it's not you know an older wrestler who had who had lived a, a long life and it's somebody this young and somebody who everybody who a lot of people listening to this probably just watched you know win a major title so um you know it's it's a shocker as far as Aoki goes. As I said, he was the All-Japan Junior Champion at the time of his death. But more so than that, very important person behind the scenes mm-hmm. at All-Japan. Right-hand man of Jun Akiyama. Uh, pretty much attached at the hip with Akiyama uh, for many years. Um, a liaison to the, to the uh, outside talent, a, the trainer.
0: Head, uh, head trainer of the dojo.
1: Yeah, trainer at the dojo, um, you know, depending who you listen to, either the primary booker or the assistant booker, but very much part of the uh, booking team in the company and the creative end and the, the, the booking direction and, and all of those sorts of things. And obviously, as we discussed, still very much an active wrestler, just took part in a champion carnival, replacing the injured Kengo Mishimo. Had a couple very good matches, an excellent match against Kento Miyahara in the Champion Carnival. And um, it's funny because we talk about Aoki's connection to, to Jun Akiyama as soon as, as Kengo Mashimo dropped out. We all thought Akiyama was getting pulled back into the carnival again, uh, Godfather style. You know, just when he thinks he's out, they pull him back. Every year, the guy ends up back in yeah, the carnival. Yeah, it's
0: five years now where he's like, no, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Ah, fine, I'll do it. Okay, okay. Like someone always gets hurt right before and it's always in, but yeah, this time it was a little different.
1: Yeah, but in a, in a bit of a surprise, I mean, Aoki, the junior wrestler, stepped up and and took that empty slot in the carnival. So this is a guy who a lot of people just watched wrestle a ton of matches, you right. know, myself included. So, you know, if you watch the carnival and you watch the big uh, junior title win over Iwamoto, and Aoki's a guy who really, you know, it's uh, a lot of people listening probably watched his entire career. You know, he was he he broke in in late 2005 in uh, obviously pro wrestling Noah. And he's part of that. He was part of that um, young boy class in Noah that just, for whatever reason, for multiple reasons, just did not work out, and really set the stage for the Noah decline in the decade to come. And is partly responsible for why they are where they are now. Now Aoki's career turned out fine. I mean, he had a very nice pro wrestling career. And he was set to you know, continue to be an active pro wrestler in all Japan and, 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 and as a key office person probably for decades to come had this accident not occurred. But Rich, when you look at the rest of that Noah class, that's sort of the lost class that people talk about. He broke in on the very same show. It was Christmas Eve 2005. On that same show, Maybach Taniguchi debuted. Mm-hmm. Ipe, Ipe Ota debuted. Remember Ipe Ota? Probably Unfortunately, right yeah. <laughs> Very uh, little, but yeah. yeah. Akihito Ito also debuted on that show. All four of those guys debuted on the same show. A couple months earlier, Genba Hiryinagi, uh debuted. So when you look at that class, okay, Ipe Ota, he quit after a couple of years and disappeared. Uh, Ito, same thing. He lasted three or four years and ended up quitting pro wrestling. Genba, Okay, he lasted about a decade as an undercard comedy guy, and you know, but then then he retired, and I I think he's still office in NOAA, but with all the changes that they've had over the last year or two, I can't even guarantee that. But I know when he retired, he took on an office job and um, was part of the uh, training, uh, 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 part of the dojo, and all that. But I I don't even know if he if he still works for them in any capacity. I have no idea. And then you've got you know Taniguchi, who at the time, believe it or not, Rich. Because uh, this might be a little before your time, following Noah Taniguchi at the time, people he was a legitimate heavyweight prospect. Now Taniguchi is the only one of the class who stuck it out, and you know to this day is is still with Noah, and you know he's had a serviceable career, uh, a guy who will win a tag team title every now and then, that sort of thing. But nowhere near did he match um, what what a lot of people thought he would be when he first started, and you know as the heavyweight of the group, they really needed him to work out. Yeah.
0: And, <laughs> yeah. Especially in that company at that time.
1: And it just, it didn't. And, and of course, then there's Aoki who, you know, had, you know, are, he easily had the best career of that class. I might be forgetting one or two guys, but I think I got, all, I
0: think that's it. I was kind of trying to do some research and I think you got all four of them that were,
1: yeah, it that, was that, that, yeah, that that that
0: crew five. or that five of that crew, yeah. uh right there. You know, at, at that one moment, and there was probably some guys that came in. You know, maybe a few times, a little bit after, a little bit, uh, you know, before. But yeah, that that it was those five that kind of emerged together. And yeah, unfortunately, when when the best guy like you said is either tanaguchi, the best guy at least for Noah, uh, was Tanoguchi and then Aoki. Yeah. You know, probably had the better career, but as we'll get to in a he bit, was, not all of it was, was done by, in Noah. Yeah,
1: unfortunately, that's so. right. I mean, so so Itō and Ota. Retired relatively quickly, three or four years in. They were gone. Uh, Aoki, of course, left with the rest of the burning guys. He left with Junakiyama, Akiyama, Goshi Ozaki, Katero Suzuki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru halfway through 2013. Um, you know, Akiyama took those guys and left for all Japan. So Aoki, who easily, uh, and at that time, I mean, he hadn't accomplished a ton in NOAA yet, but it was clear that he was going to be a guy in the juniors division there's no question he was going to be a guy he had you know the short lived tag team with kenta he had the tag team battles with kenta before that um he never i don't think he ever got the big singles win over kenta he Kent, he was always paired with kenta in the in the tags and then they had a probably five or six singles matches and i don't think he ever beat kenta before he left and obviously he's never going to he's never going to get that big win over kenta Um, so I don't think he ever got that one, but it was clear that they were setting him up to be one of the big juniors moving forward. But then Akiyama took all those guys and, and left for all Japan. So by that point in time, the only one left was Taniguchi because Hiryanagi Genba retired. Well, he probably retired 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. By 2013, 14, everybody knew that Genba wasn't going to be a star or anything right, like that. Right, right. He was just going to be an undercard guy. So now, you know, by by, by the time Genba retires, the last one left is, last standing is Taniguchi. And again, he's had a serviceable career, but um, that can't be the one guy from the class who has the most success within your company. And it was just, it's the lost class of Noah. And Aoki was part of that. And if he had stuck around, he would have been the star of the class because once he got to all Japan, he started winning junior singles titles and those sorts of things. And the other thing about Aoki that people don't may not understand, and maybe they do now seeing that he was only 41 when he passed away is rich. He started very late. He was 28 or 29. Right,
0: right, right. Cause yeah, I, I think I was initially knowing, cause I know I knew how old he was. I knew he was 41. I knew he was in his forties. And then I remember, you know, un- unfortunately it, I, you know, as you said, I didn't know a ton about Noah's past or whatnot. I wasn't, you know, watching or actively kind of following at the time. So when I was you know, after his death, looking at some of the research and, and, and getting ready for the show or whatnot, I look and I'm like, 2005? Like, he started in 2005? Like, essentially, for all intents and purposes, 2006. And it I would have thought, you know, given his age, that, oh, man, this guy is definitely a dude who started maybe in the early 2000s or something like that. I was stunned to hear that it was, you know, late, late, late 2005 that he debuted uh, and didn't really get going until, like, yeah, 2007, 2008, 2009 is until when he really started kind of coming up onto the scene. And it's like, wow, for, for a guy who, you know, is what age, he, you know, of course he was when when unfortunately he passed away, it was kind of surprising that like, oh shit, like he did start very, very late.
1: Yeah. And, you know, by the time because then he had won a couple junior tag team titles. Mm-hmm. I know he had, you know, the team with Katero Suzuki is the one that people probably remember the short-lived pairing with Kenta. And then I, he he had won the tag team titles with Marufuji as well, the junior tag team titles. And You know, you really felt like he was really about to get cooking when they left for All Japan. And then he goes to All Japan, and he won the junior title a bunch of times. He passed away as the junior champion. Um, And, you know, he won the equivalent. They don't have a junior tag team title in All Japan. They have the All Asia titles, which it's not a weight-restricted thing, and heavyweights have held it. But historically, if you look at the title lineage, it's usually juniors that win the All Asia title. Um, even going all the way back to the Baba days, it was kind of used. You know, you'd have like the Can-Am Express and people like that wrestling, right? Or, right. The multi or what whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and the heavyweight tag team titles, the you know, were were reserved for the single stars in those days would battle over them. Um, but yeah, you know, so there's no, but any and he won that that set of tag team titles a few times too. You know, with you know Hikaru Sato was his tag team partner. Uh, for the most part, I think he may have won them. I, you know, I should just pull it up. Yeah, somehow. Katara Suzuki.
0: He actually won at one ring with Katara Suzuki, two with Sato.
1: So, so there you go. So, so, you know, the Suzuki team carried over when they jumped, but his tag team partner in recent years was Sato. I mean, that's, you know, and 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 um, you know, they've always been aligned in 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 various uh, units and, and things like that as well. So, he went on to, you know, achieve his his uh his potential as a junior in another company. So that really was a lost class for Noah. And I mean, just think of it this way. If let's say you're a modern New Japan fan, let's say that Jay White and Hiromu Takahashi and Sho and Yo, and just throw another one in there, Desperado. Let's throw Desperado in there. Let's say all five of those guys, just three of them were complete flops. One of them retired young and the other left the company think about that yeah you know that's
0: that's (laughs) devastating
1: when you consider where they all are now jay white is a headliner and a main eventer and already has a title win under his belt and haromu is one of the most is a headliner one of the most popular wrestlers in the world uh show and yo obviously have enormous potential that they haven't reached yet and desperado is a solid as fuck you know uh soldier on the roster and it's like wipe all of them out and that's essentially what happened to no you know what here's even better comparison. No disrespect to desperado. Imagine those five, but only desperado lasted and he was basically a mid carder Right, That's exactly. It's it's it's, it's nothing, kind of it's is. fine.
0: Yeah, it's fine to have desperado and Desperado's a good hand, but like you want stars, you want guys main eventing, especially in this era of Noah too. And you've talked about it a lot in in the show. Um, you know, over the years is that Noah, you know, if people weren't following at the time, of course, you know, the high points of Noah are your, you know, your Kobashi's, your Misawas, your stuff like that. But, you know, those guys, they kept having to go back to those guys time and time and time and time again, because there was just nobody ready to go up. And they would, you know, maybe go to a Kenta and Marifuji for a little bit. The attendance would kind of slip a little bit and they would just get cold feet and go right back to, to, you know, Kenta and, and Masawa and or Kobashi and, and Masawa and yada, yada, and they would do, I mean, literally to their death, you know, to, to Masawa's death. Unfortunately, just kept going to those guys, kept going to those guys, kept going to those guys, and by the time they were finally done, Noah was basically like, "Oh, yeah, we don't really have the next guy up." Wasn't there, and there was no guy, and now we're kind of where Noah's been for now over the last what five years, basically just well, kind of yeah, treading I, water. You know, sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, but for the most part, just never really breaking breaking through uh, ever since then.
1: I mean, they tried Kenta and Marafuji, but at the time fans were much less open to juniors. Right, right. We're talking spot.
0: mid-2000s in Japan, where, yeah, it wasn't exactly a, a, an era that was super... Nowadays, I think you could easily go to, like, a, a Fuji or a Kenta or whatever, and everybody would be fine with it. Because those guys were red hot. They were just red hot as, as juniors. And it wasn't seen that, yeah, you could just push a junior as your top guy. It was just, yeah, it was a little <laughs> weird. Which sucked, because i have been awesome to see that run happen, but it just never did.
1: I mean, it's it's been litigated a thousand times, but they also would cut it short because they would panic. You know, the the big Marafuji Kenta main event didn't do a good number in comparison to what, like, Masawa was doing, but did a number that Noah would literally, you know, murder for today.
0: (laughs) Right, right. But it wasn't, yeah, it It, wasn't reaching the Masawa levels, and it's like, yeah, maybe nothing is going to, guys. Yeah, like...
1: it It didn't sustain, it didn't hold, and then they would panic and say, well, well, these guys can't draw. So there is an argument to be had that if you stuck with it, they got over his juniors, obviously. They didn't completely tank when you tried them on top. Maybe eventually fans would have bought in. And maybe if they eventually would have got those big singles wins over those other guys, which they never did, that would have helped too. Goshiozaki was the other guy that they were really hoping for. And his career has just been snake bitten. I've talked about it a million times. It's, you know, every time he got an opportunity, it was like, one time he got up right when Masawa died, and it's like that derailed him. Mm-hmm. And then it's like it—it it, it seems every step of the way, Shiozaki was snake bitten, and I'm not sure he ever would have been a megastar anyway. Maybe he just didn't have enough charisma. But he was the other one. Taniguchi just never panned out, and people figured it out pretty quickly with him. But when he first came in, people had high hopes. And then it's like, okay, so Masawa passes away, Kobashi retires. You know, you've got Akiyama, you've got Go you've got these two juniors that you know they, they just weren't and it's like Noah definitely dropped the level with that next group but then this during this whole time is when this lost class was quitting and uh just not working out and not gonna, and they should have been the ones to follow Go Shiozaki and Kenta and Marafuji and and that's why it really fell off a cliff After that, you know, Burning Leaves, you're left with Marafuji, Kenta, and really a whole lot of nothing. And that's when this group of five guys, if they would have worked out, really could have been the next stars to go along. And then, you know, then Kenta and Marafuji put those guys over. But Kenta and Marafuji didn't have anybody to put over. It's like, you know, and then it just all fell apart from there. And to me, you can really point to this 2005-2006 class. As where everyone kind of recognized Trouble was brewing. Rich, there was a period there where Noah didn't have a single full-time contracted wrestler under the age of 30 on their roster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, that, and it's because these guys either retired or left or started late. Aoki and, and, and Taniguchi, the two that worked out best, were both 28 years old when they started. So it's not like these guys started when they were 18 years old and had a ton of time. To grow into the roles either and see what was gonna happen. They were already practically, they were knocking on the door of 30 in their first match. So Noah just never was able to restock the pond. And you know, and that's where they are, what they are today. And look, Noah's my favorite company of all time, but it essentially doesn't exist anymore. What it is now is it gets the respect of a major league promotion because of its history and all of that, but in reality, it's an indie. And we all know that, and we don't like to say it, but Noah is an indie. It's a mid-sized indie at this point. I think that's fair to say. They'll draw 2,000 fans twice a year or whatever it is, um, you know, and then they'll struggle to fill Cork in the rest of the year. And then they'll do house shows that do 600 fans. I mean, it's an indie. And it's a shame and it's sad. And now they don't even, you know, they they got rid of the colors. And really, you can point to more than ever with this Aoki News, and I'm going to connect all this that Marafuji 20th anniversary show last September 1st, I want to say September 1st, uh, the Marafuji show, um, all of the burning dudes who left for all Japan at some point had returned. Kanemaru came back to Noah when all Japan was struggling. Ozaki came back to Noah when all Japan went through some struggles. Katero Suzuki, uh, you know, came back and as, as an invader and all that. Uh, but the last two were Junakiyama and Atsushi Aoki. And they came back together and worked a tag team match on that Marufuji anniversary show, and at that point, all five of the of the burning guys who left had finally come back to Noah and worked at least one match. And to me, that show, that Marufuji twentieth anniversary show, you know, in the big building with a, with a packed house of rowdy fans, with the green ring, Junakiyama on the show, Kenta coming back to work the main event against Marufuji, Rich. I love that show, and in hindsight with a couple of months to reflect where rumors are flying all over the place. We have people telling us every day that Kenta is new Japan bound at some point. And now it's sushi Aoki passing away and Jun Akiyama working the one match. Yeah. He's never going back there. And, and, <laughs> yeah, never and, 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 um, it's like in Kanemaru now entrenched in, in new Japan. It's, it's, I look back at that Marafuji anniversary show and that's it. That was it for Noah. That was the last hurrah. That was everybody's last chance to experience what Noah was, and it will never be that again. Because a few months later, you know, the new owners they changed the colors. It's not Noah anymore. It's not—I don't know what it is—but it's not the pro wrestling Noah that I loved, or that you know everybody listening loved. But now, with Aoki's death and that Kenta Marafuji match. As the main event. it's just so it's such a symbolic show. Akiyama and Aoki coming back for that show. Yeah,
0: great match and by it, the way. That was my favorite match on the entire show. Time limit draw too, it went thirty minutes with uh, Harada and, and Segura, and it was awesome. Like the the Marifuji, you know, Kenta slash whatever. I think he was Atami uh, officially in that match. I know that's the one that kind of got a lot of the headlines, and and that's the one that kind of made you feel emotional because it's like, oh, holy shit! But man, that 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 tag match of like the matches on that show. I mean, that was just awesome. Awesome, awesome stuff there. And it felt like Akiyama and a- a- Aoki were kind of proud to be back in some ways. You know what I mean? Like, they had had a lot of tough, you-, you know, hard feelings throughout the years. But it felt like, okay, this is where we started. This is where, you know, not necessarily where we started. But this is kind of where we belonged for for a while. And then, obviously, we've moved on and done our other things. But it just there was a certain symbolic moment, like you said, for those two guys coming out there and, and-, and being a part of that match. Going a time limit draw uh, w- with Harada and Sagira. And then, obviously, just kind of capping the show off. Uh, you know, with Marufuji and, and Kenta. So yeah, you're absolutely right about that one. It, it kind of stinks it. and It's to go back yet?
1: Yeah. That's the end with all this chain of events. That's it. I mean, finally, all the burning guys returned, and you know, I, I don't care if he worked as a Tommy. That was Kenta versus Marufuji, and uh, that match meant a lot to me. I, I that you know that was and it just felt vibrant and it felt like Noah again for one night. They rebottled it, and it just felt so good watching that show but that was it that's the end point point. and you know Takeshi Segura is, is so good and w- w- such an underrated all-time wrestler and and but you know he's almost 50 so he's not going to last forever and then after that you know what's left the last man standing is Taniguchi and he, you know it's like and again no disrespect to him he's had a nice you know nice little career but he doesn't give anyone the feels you know what I mean? There's just nothing left after Sagara. And this company, this incarnation, maybe they'll be six listen, maybe they'll be a they'll find a star. And it'll happen for but you know what? Even if they do, it's not the green ring. It's not the pro wrestling Noah that we all loved. And it never will be again. It ended on that night. But very sad news with Ioki. And it's it's a major loss with the things that don't matter the stupid junior division and the stupid you know in ring and it it's a major loss from that perspective but it's an even bigger loss behind the scenes with him being so integral to all Japan and it's just terrible that a 41 year old man is cut down at that point in his life
0: absolutely and uh, we 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 haven't made official plans yet, but hopefully we'll be able to have a chance to do like we did with the Silver King uh, on Patreon, where we maybe watch a few of these Aoki matches and talk about them. Uh, the one, even if we just do one match, <laughs> what we have to, we've talked about this many, many years ago. I think we did it for a Joe and, and Rich recommend matches to each other. God, years and years and years and years ago. Uh, that, that eight man tag team survival match from uh, August 17th, 2008 uh, officially in, in Katsuke office pro wrestling, but uh kind of these one of these weird matches that kind of i, I don't know exactly because it was also SEM it was kinsuke office like it was yeah, I, I forget what the official company that ran that was i guess it was office right it was right?
1: the it was a kinsuke office show and a kinsuke office ring cork and hall that was the big kinsuke office versus burning feud uh obviously uh kenta kabashi and and um uh, yeah and kinsuke sasaki on opposite side and that feud Is just a legendary feud because you had the two big heavyweights, uh, you know, leaders who were going at it with each other uh, over that course. And then you had Kenta and Nakajima underneath going at it over the uh, GHC junior title at the time and trading it back and forth in both companies. Kensuki Office at the time was a little mini promotion that Suzaki was running. It eventually changed his name to Diamond Ring. And then you know uh, disband you know, and then he stopped running shows, but that was when Katsuki Sasaki, you know he trained Katsuhiku Nakajima starting as a 14 year old or 15 year old or whatever it was, and also Kento Miyohara uh, came out of that as well, and there's still heat between those two guys because uh, you know I guess it just didn't end well and, or whatever, and Nakajima, of course, the adopted son of Katsuki Suzaki and, 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 and hakuto and and you know, Miyahara trained with him and there's just, there's still, there's une- there's awkwardness there. There's bad blood there. And, you know, if you remember a couple of years ago, Nakajima made that grandstanding challenge out to Miyahara when they were both champions. And, um, you know, so, you know, the last I heard, there's still some heat, but they were on the same side here because they were on the Kansuki office side of this survival tag. And Aoki was in that match on the burning side. And it's like, he was part of one of the greatest matches in pro- professional wrestling history. I mean, I- I'm very comfortable saying that that is that survival tag is one of the greatest matches in the history of professional wrestling. I don't know if it's the greatest, but it's on the short list of matches that I think about when I think about the greatest matches that I've ever seen. So, um and he was part of that. And absolutely I would I would love to do a show where we look at Aoki matches and and you know, no matter how big or small a part he had in that match, people who haven't seen it just go watch it. I won't just go watch the match. I still think it's it's worth a watch because he was part of one of the greatest matches in history.
0: Right. You should just watch that match. Regard, I mean, it, he is kind of the conduit towards it. And and yeah, he played a role in it. Maybe not the most primary role, but that's an absolute like must watch. I mean, I, I know when you recommended it to me all those years ago, I had never seen it before. And I came away, you know, initially you were like, hey, look, it's 55 minutes or whatever, but I promise you, you know, you're going to get your 55 minutes worth. And oh my God, you get your 55 minutes <laughs> worth, man. It is it is the 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 last... It's so weird to say this. The last 30 minutes of the match is just fucking molten. It's unbelievable. Uh, The action, the crowd... Just the people that get in the ring, and as you said, a guy will tag in, another guy tags in, and it's like, oh, you know, it's like everyone's got this own little. There's there's something about almost every little combination of people, but especially when you get the people that are supposed to be facing off with each other, the people that are sort of paired off with one another, it's just like next level stuff here. Yeah. You see stories throughout the match, you see stories progressing this match. You just see there's just so much shit going on in this match. So th- that's definitely one that I I wanted to talk about. Uh, I think another one, of course, you know, if you're kind of listening to it right now and and, and thinking you want to kind of do your own rewatch, like I said, the the one from the uh, the, the Fuji anniversary show. So, absolutely go see that one. Aoki and Akiyama versus uh, Harada and Segura. That was on uh, September 1st, uh, 2018. These are going to be a little tougher to find. I know summer is still kind of floating out there, but I know copyrights and all that sort of stuff kind of gets caught up. Uh, one that I always really liked as well. I remember this is maybe my first, it might have been the first time I ever saw Aoki, I, honestly, it was uh, 2010. Uh, it was him and Kenta versus Eddie Edwards and Roderick Strong. I remember that, pop, that popping up on some DVD uh, that I bought from an ROH show. And that was uh, the actual date of that one is October 30th. Uh, 2010. That is a really awesome match, too, if you get a chance. And then any of the Aoki-Kenta matches, too, As you and you sort of alluded to it earlier, uh, he had six matches with Kenta, lost every single one of those. So, yeah, never never got the win uh, that he was kind of looking for there, but pretty much any of those you're okay with. But, uh, you know, on cage match, the one that seems to be the most popular is uh, September 21st, 2009, uh, Aoki versus Kenta. So
1: And the thing about it, they were very clearly building to him beating Kenta. And it didn't happen because they left. It would have happened at some point. And I can't remember the match, and I always bring this up. And if Alan Kunahan's listening, and he, he needs to help me out with this. Because there was a tag match, and I don't remember what match it was. And I don't remember if it was in a tournament or not, where Aoki got, he finally beat him. And he got the fall on him. And it, it would just, it, there was so much emotion behind him picking up that scalp over Kenta. And it was like, holy shit, when he beats him in a single, this is gonna be huge. And 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 unfortunately, because of circumstances, it never happens. And I can never remember the match. And I've looked for it and I've never been able to find it. And I don't think it's a figment of my imagination. I know that it happens. <laughs> I, I can rem- I he tapped him with like an arm bar and Kenta taps, and you're just like, holy shit, he got him, you know? And um and yeah, and then, you know, they were on the um, same side in, in the Burning versus KO feud. And you, you remember, it's like the baby Kento Miyahara is in that match. Because it's Kensuke Sasaki, uh, Nakajima, who was feuding with Kenta. It's baby Kento and Takashi Okita, okay? And then it's um, on the other side, it's, it's, of course, Kobashi and Kenta and Aoki. And then one of those guys from the Lost Class that we just talked about, Akihiko Itu. Who Ito? Who? Who again? He didn't make it, but um, yeah, legendary all time match, and uh, Aoki really um, he it, it, it's a lot of great tags with him because obviously he held a bunch of different tag titles, and um, yeah, that that burning KO feud though, it's one of those where it's like you should really just go back and watch the whole feud and watch it in order because you know start with the big, you know, Kabashi, Suzuki singles match and then watch the Kenta versus Nakajima stuff and watch the survival tag and watch all the stuff in order. It just adds to all of it.
0: Yeah, you, you used to be able to do that. I, I forget exactly what site had it, but there was a site that had basically every step of it. But God only knows if that's still. I mean, like I said, this is five years ago that I went back and rewatched it. So I'm not entirely. positive. And that's, that's the problem. Long.
1: It's going to be hard to piece all those matches together now because of every everything getting taken down and everything. I mean, if you know where to look, you can find this kind of stuff, but it's not as easy as it used to be. So, I mean, you do have to do some digging. The survival match itself is on some grimy-ass, you know, uh, weird Yeah, you linked to
0: it the other day, and I was like, what is that website? It was like, V-Ho or something
1: like that. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Some weird tube site. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's- uh, But, um, look, any way you can, you know, you know but, but to find all that stuff and watch it, it, it really was a great, great feud. It was, you know, the best stuff of 2008-2009, you know, going on in Japan in my opinion, but
0: so that's that. So yeah, nothing official yet, but, uh, we will, we'll, we'll, we'll talk and, and hopefully be able to get a show sometime in the next few days where, uh, we or next week or so where we go and watch some of these matches and, and talk about them. Cause that'd be pretty awesome to do. And and we kind of, I, I really enjoyed the silver King show and I know a lot of people did as well. So we'll hopefully try to, uh, to do it for someone of Aoki's level definitely deserves, uh, that, that same standing so we'll, we'll see what we can do hopefully get it done uh, sometime in the next, uh, next week or so but uh, we'll see what happens there but uh, let's uh, move on to uh, New Japan uh, the best of the Super Junior Finals uh, happened a few days ago at the time of this recording this or yesterday I should say at the time of our recording here uh, we'll start just right with the main event then we'll kind of go over some of the other show here but uh, Super Junior Final Uh, Will Ospreay, Shingo Takagi. We were worried at the end of last show that they were going to fuck around and put Taguchi in this match. Uh, Thank God they made the right call. I think we all were hoping they would make this call, and it was the only call to really make uh, is to have uh, Will versus Shingo, and they did it. And, Joe, they had a goddamn fucking match. Jesus Christ, did they have a match? We'll talk about it. But, uh, what do you think of this match before we kind of get into the review? And I should mention as well, Grapple, uh, is the sponsor for this, uh, this, uh, show review. Uh, G R A P P L, if you want to download the app and join us, uh, do star ratings for every single, uh, Modern show going on, and a lot of the old school shows. So you can go back and 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 rate stuff from uh, all Japan's past, WWE's past, a bunch of other stuff. GRAPPL. But just want to mention that this review is sponsored by our friends there. But uh, yeah, Joe, uh, thoughts on Osprey and Shingo as the final?
1: Yeah, I mean, subscribers heard my preview to this match, and I, I really thought that it was going to be impossible for this match to not be great the question was going to be how great because you've got willow spray who always delivers in the big spot and you've got shingo who's just been so good but more than that you had the story of shingo coming in being this unstoppable monster and the story of willow spray and you know him potentially moving up to heavyweight and it was the match that you know universally everybody wanted in this final and um it really when they got into the ring and they were standing there I don't know about you, but it felt like a special match before the bell even rang. It felt like, wow, this is living up to the hype already because this feels like one of those matches that we're not going to forget about.
0: Right, and, and-, and re- really quickly, not to not to kind of interrupt here, but I think one of the things too, and I wanted to talk to you about this, you know, on, on the show. That's why I didn't bring it up to you before. Is one thing that I loved about seeing these two guys square off and this match happen and the crowd go nuts. We're in, the, you know, the sumo hall and all this sort of stuff, and and it's kind of a personal thing too. And a lot of people are probably going to hate this segment, but it's fine. I don't care. Um, is both of these guys? I I, I felt a weird. I don't want to say proud, proud's not the right word, but I felt like a certain joy or a certain, like, I I don't know, I, I don't know the exact word to describe it, but these are two guys that I think you and I have both liked for years and years and years. The first time we laid eyes on Will Ospreay while we were doing the show, we said, oh my God, this dude. This guy is going to be the next big thing in wrestling. Shingo's a guy who, despite many detractors, and Will Ospreay, of course, has many, still to this day, many, many detractors. And we always kind of said, fuck those people. Will's a man. He's going to be awesome, and he is awesome. Uh, And Shingo, same thing, too. Shingo has a lot of his uh, detractors, even people that are hardcore Dragon Gate fans. There are some of them that still don't get Shingo, don't like Shingo we were always pro Shingo from way back in the, day. the first time I ever saw him uh, in DG USA and going back and watching dragon It stuff, he was one of my favorite guys. So this was not only just like a big match where, you know, in front of sumo hall in the main event of the super juniors, and it felt like a big deal. And these guys squared off and the crowds going nuts. And, and Kevin Kelly's screaming about how awesome this is, and all this sort of stuff. And it felt like it had this, this certain weight to it, but it also had an extra weight, I think for me. And I wonder if it kind of had for you as well. Cause it's like, these are two of like, this show's favorite wrestlers ever. You know what I mean? Like, two of the guys that we've been talking about and arguing with people with for years and years and years and years. And it was like this weird sort of, I don't want to say proof of concept, but this weird sort of like, you know what? All these people are talking about this, you know, junk over all these different years or whatever. Like, Here's what you got, man. These two guys having a fucking kick ass match in Sumo Hall to cap off this major show. And it's like, I don't want to say like we're right, because that's not the right word for it either. But it's like all the bitching and all the moaning and all the complaining and all the arguing that we've done for years and years and years and years. It was kind of worth it for this moment. Did you kind of have that similar feeling too on a personal level? So you felt validated. That's a great word. Yeah, validated is a good word because we, we're we like five years deep into the Osprey thing and we're way deeper into the Shingo thing. I remember you and I arguing with people on on fucking old message boards about Shingo years and years and years ago because it was like, no, we both believe that these guys were great, that these are great wrestlers and these two guys, for for and, and they're not alone, but these two guys have always seemed to have very vocal detractors, very big detractors, very people that really just dislike them for whatever reasons and, and we would we've been fighting that fight for years and years and years. So it was like, yeah, validation is a great word, but it's like, you know what? All this shit, like these guys made it, man. You you know what I mean? All these other people at all that guy sucks. And this guy stinks and, and oh, he's no good. And he doesn't sell. He doesn't do this. And this guy, it's like, no, you're, you know, these dudes made it to the fucking top. And it was kind of cool. It was like a, this weird sort of proud father moment for me for, for no particular reason whatsoever uh, to have that sort of feeling. But I just kind of did. I don't know why.
1: Well, the thing about it is. Will Will Osprey Will Ospreay is going to be one of the biggest stars in the world, whether people like it or not. I mean, if you can't see that coming, then you're blind. I mean, it's going to happen. It's in the process of happening, and I know that's gonna. That's not going to make some people happy. They can fight it. They can drag their feet on it. But you, you got to accept it. I mean, it, there's no. I mean, you know, he has the size. He has the look, he has charisma, and he does things that nobody else in the world does. And the other thing is, he's an incredibly hard worker, not just bell to bell, but in improving himself. And, you know, just things like putting on the necessary size to be a main eventer, which he's in the process of doing, things like improving his game. Taking the complaints that he never, you know, that he couldn't sell to heart, and now he's one of the best in the world at that at at that part of it, on top of the incredible offense. Adding facets to his game that don't involve flippy-doos and flying around, which as he gets older, he's gonna have to eliminate that stuff. So what does he do? He goes out there and he adds that back elbow finish, which is an incredible looking finish. It just looks great. It's nasty and it's vicious and he saves it for the right moments, the Stormbreaker. Again, no flippy do involved, okay? So as he gets a little older, remember, Rich, we talked about this with Ricochet, and he kind of brought that shit back when he got to WWE because he's trying to get over. But Ricochet really started to cut down on that stuff after a while because his body was starting to hurt, and he was getting over it, and he was over already, and he was learning how to stay over in other ways. Right
0: Now, unfortunately, and he has he, to do that every single Monday. <laughs> so that dude's body well, yeah, is I mean. going to break brought, down pretty quickly now, so...
1: Yeah, he brought all that stuff back because he's in you know a different environment. and He's got to get over, and it's it's a challenge. so that's a different animal. But you can see Will starting to do that now too by working differently and adding different big moves because you can't finish people off with you know uh, six thirty Firebird splashes when you're thirty eight years old. I mean, your knees are going to be dead. You just can't do it. So you see him. So he's he 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 just works so hard to improve himself. He works so hard to get better. He works so hard bell to bell. And, you know, it's like, honestly, it's hard for me to understand why people don't like him. I mean, this is like everything you want in a pro wrestler.
0: Maybe the Twitter thing. I get that. Like, I get that you follow him on Twitter and he's a John on Twitter, which is fine. Whatever. But
1: hold on a second. Can I talk about that for a second? Sure. Go ahead. That stuff is so overrated. He's not even that bad on Twitter.
0: I agree. He's he's
1: kind of just an idiot. He's just a dummy. He says things that are like mildly stupid. And people act like he belongs in prison. I mean, it's, it's re- it is it's so overblown, the, the the heat that he gets onto it. It is so overblown. I mean, it's crazy. But, you know, if I'm Will Ospreay, I sit down and I have a chat with Juice Robinson. And I just get off of it. I eliminate social media from my life. He doesn't need it anymore.
0: No, and the problem is he said he was going to do that. And then I think he came back like and six hours later. Yeah, like he can't he can't separate himself and he really because would be better off if he did. I mean, it, it adds nothing to his career whatsoever. So
1: the die is cast with that man. So any minor trans and that's what they are. They're always these minor transgressions, any minor transgression. He has there, people are looking for things. So he's fucked. So he'd really be better off just getting rid of it, but he's probably like a lot of people addicted to it. And he can't get off. Whereas juice Robinson gotten a little bit of trouble once. And he said, fuck this, I don't need this in my life. And my career doesn't need this. And he just deleted everything one day. A lot of people probably don't even remember that little thing that he got in trouble with. And I'm not going to repeat it because I don't want to get the guy in trouble again because it was stupid and minor. And he just said, fuck it, I've had enough. I'm not going to deal with this ever again. Smartest man in wrestling. Is it hurting his career at all? We're going to talk about him in a little while. How's his career trajectory going? At some point, you don't need it anymore. I understand these indie wrestlers, they need it. It's part of the hustle. It's part of the grind. It's a great communication system, okay? Will, are you, listen, you want to talk to Will Ospreay, you'll find his number. He's at that point in his career. You, know, you understand what I'm saying, Rich? It's like he doesn't need this. He doesn't need to hype himself up, and he doesn't need those Twitter DMs to get booked. He's a top star. Delete it. Get rid of it. It's unnecessary. And it's just, it just causes a headache because people are looking for things now. But it's so overrated. And a lot of times I think people just use that Twitter stuff to justify the fact they don't like them. Yeah, look, it's all right if you don't like them, but they really harp on the Twitter stuff. It's just, it's so dumb. I mean, I have no use for it. I don't only really listen. It goes in one ear and out the other now when it comes to him and the Twitter stuff. But he's such a hard worker, always improving himself, wants to be great, and, and now is great. And you talked about Shingo. Listen, I never bought it, Rich. You've heard me go on this ramp before. We used to hear, from people who cover Dragon Gate. We used to hear from Dragon Gate fan. Oh, Dragon Gate fans, they hate Shingo. They can't stand him. How come it never reflected in business?
0: <laughs> never. Oh, they always went to go see How him. come
1: it never reflected in business? Okay? I never bought it. I never bought this idea that Shingo could never get over in Dragon Gate and that Dragon Gate fans secretly harbored hate for him. I honestly think that came. I have nothing against Jai. Nothing against him at all. I love what he does. We put him over all time. He didn't personally like Shingo. So I think it trickled down because it was reflecting. his Look, he's entitled to an opinion like everybody else. But I, I, I it never reflected in business ever. So I never bought that. And I always saw shit. Now, now, Will Ospreay, forget it. First time I saw the guy, ton of flaws in this game. 2014, I probably discovered him. You too. But the flaws were obvious. He didn't sell back then at all. Didn't even try. Didn't even attempt. We saw flaws. But I also knew that guy was going to be a star. As far as Shingo goes, it, look. He was a top star in Dragon Gate, which is why they kept going to him on top. And he was better as a heel than a babyface. There's no question. Okay, the 2015-2016 heel Shingo run, legendary. One of the best title runs in the history of Dragon Gate. And it drew money, and it got over. So I don't want to hear this idea that Dragon Gate fans had go-away heat for Shingo. I never bought it, and I don't buy it today. And I always believed that Shingo had the ability to be a top-level star outside of Dragon Gate. I just didn't think we'd ever find out. But all the turmoil happened in Dragon Gate. A lot of people left. Akira Tozawa, Shima. Shima took his boys with him. Uh, you know, Shingo uh, left. Shingo goes to New Japan, and it was obvious from the moment he arrived. This could be a top guy. He could be a top star, not just as a junior. And that was another theme of this match. It's like we know that it. This turned out to be exactly what I thought it would be—a match that no one's ever going to forget about. Off the top of your head, give me the 2014 Best Super Junior Final. I can't do it. You're never going to forget the 2014. I,
0: I do think that one was Alex Shelley and, and Devitt, wasn't it? That, that was 2012. 13.
1: That was 12, I think. Never 12 or 13, because that was the year Devitt turned. Um, but but anyway, my point here is I don't know you, the 2014. Okay, there you go. You won. And, <laughs> and, yeah, but whether anyone can name it or not, my point I here is I think
0: Ricochet may have won it, but that's
1: you're what. always going to remember the, the the 19 one, and you're going to remember this match. Okay, because it's just a, and because both of these guys too are going to move forward. They're planting their flags in this company. Neither one of them are going anywhere, barring something unforeseen. Will's moving to the country. Okay. Uh, Shingo just got there and he's getting a mega push. Why would he leave? They're both going to be top line heavyweight stars in this company, money drawing stars too. Shingo's practically there already. Now, you, and the other thing is two dome shows, if they keep doing that, Look, Shingo's ceiling is the same ceiling that Will has. Tokyo Dome main eventer. And I truly believe that. I'm not saying he'll get there. I'm not saying it's any kind of... But is that his ceiling? I do think it is. So we'll see. And this is a special match from that perspective, too. This is an... And I also believe Shingo is an all-time great. I really do, Bell to Bell. I think he's an all-time great wrestler. This was an all-time great against a guy who is a future all-time great, who is arguably the best wrestler in the world today, in a match, in a main event, in Sumo Hall, one of them undefeated. Both of them on a trajectory that we all see. Now we all see it. Rich already took his victory lap on it. But now everybody sees the trajectory that both of these guys have. And it ended up being a special, special match. Because the match, oh, by the way, Rich, this wasn't some run-of-the-mill four-and-a-quarter star great match. Epic fucking match. This was a tremendous all-time wrestling match to cap off a tremendous all-time tournament.
0: Yeah, so the, it kind of gets to the nuts and bolts of the match itself. I mean, like I said, the molten heat from the crowd almost the entire time. And I think one of the cool things about it, we'll get to kind of our ratings a little bit and, and where grapples at and, and all that sort of stuff in a bit. But I just kind of want to talk a little bit about just sort of it, it, the match itself. And and what I loved about it is it, because it was a main event. And like you said, I think the more important part of this was, yes, it was the finals of the best of the Super Juniors. But it really almost through the entire match felt like this isn't really a junior match like it features guys you know vying for the trophy but like you said it felt like these two dudes are their trajectories are way above juniors their trajectories are Tokyo domain inventors and, and and we saw just as such even when, when it ended as well you know not to kind of jump ahead to the end but you know Will says hey you know I, I've won the best of the super juniors and uh, you know I want to win that title but I also want the champion to face heavyweights and and, and, and juniors and, and whatever and then we're seeing already we'll talk about the Dominion show we're already seeing Shingo maybe already on the trajectory of moving past you know the junior already even though I think it's probably going to take a little bit before he's officially officially a heavyweight but still we saw you know they, they couldn't deny it when that match was over they're like no these dudes are just fucking stars regardless Regardless of its heavyweight, regardless of its junior, whatever it is, these guys are just fucking stars. And the match worked itself that way, too. I mean, there was, you know, some big, high-flying spots or whatever. But, I mean, a lot of it was just fucking power bombs and lariats and, and back elbows and, and counters and all that sort of stuff. Like, this was... It could have easily been the main event of a tokyo dome it could have easily been the main event of a dominion or whatever it, it, it didn't feel uniquely junior as much as it felt like just a great fucking wrestling match between do, two great wrestlers so that's one thing that i really love the most about it is that it just kind of it, it just felt this weird sort of hybrid style match that was, you know, Will doing some of the flips, but like you said, integrating a little bit of his other stuff too, integrating, you know, a, a, an awesome Liger, I mean, an awesome, I mean, God, my favorite spot in the entire match. She goes to the Lariat and, and, and Will swings it into a Liger bomb And just kind of like, he kind of lets go of Shingo at the bottom too, so it's not like a perfect leg of bond, but it almost works a little bit better too, because Shingo kind of lands on his neck, and it's just, oh God, it's awesome. And then, you know, Shingo throwing just these giant lariats and knocking Will off his boots, but then you also Will doing, you know, a 630 to his back or whatever, and Will doing some of the other stuff. So I think it was just a great way to sort of showcase what the juniors can do in this company, what Will Osprey can do in terms of high flying stuff, but then also sort of show that yeah he can kind of move on and he can do power stuff and he can do heavyweight stuff, and then Shingo, who's just a junior in name only really at this point because he was out there just throwing fucking chops and lariats and punches and kicks and and just doing awesome stuff throughout the match too. But uh, no, this is a definitely a special, special match. Did you have a certain part that really stuck out to you that that you really loved more than any?
1: Well, there were a lot. Um, there were a ton of little details in the match that I thought just added to it tremendously. Shingo, I thought, was, I thought both guys were great in the match. I thought Shingo had like a career performance. I really thought he was just super in the match. Little things. The way he was selling, particularly down the stretch, the hard breathing to signify that he was wearing down, that was a little touch that he added. There was one spot in the match where where Ospreay was setting up the Sazuke special. And I'm so glad the camera caught it. But Shingo, totally gassed and worn down and knowing what's coming, he took this desperate swipe at Will's ankles as he was bouncing off the ropes to try to prevent that move. And I'm so glad at that moment, the camera, the director cut to a wide shot and we caught that because that's normally something you wouldn't catch. But, the, but they went to the wide shot in that moment. He hit a pumping bomber in this match that Will just took an amazing bump oh, yeah, off. That's awesome. You know, and then, obviously, uh, the one thing that probably everybody picked up on was he hadn't done the Made in Japan since he stepped foot in New Japan, and he saved it for the biggest spot possible. Main event, sumo hall, huge tournament. And though, and it's not just that he finally used the made in Japan. It's how they set it up. That, you know, that sequence to set up the, that I can't even repeat because it was, there were a ton of sequences in the match that were super complicated like that. It's like, I think he got, Will went for a storm breaker and he slipped out and then Will went for a head kick and he missed. And then, um, uh, and then somehow he ended up, uh, oh, he caught the, that's what happened. Will went for, like, a reverse, uh, like, uh, some kind of reverse kick, and Shingo caught him in the air, in position, perfect position for the Made in Japan. Like,
0: he didn't really, like, it almost came across, like, he didn't really want, like, he didn't really plan on doing it, and he was like, wait, holy shit, I could do it right now, and then just sort of, like, turns him around and just drops his fucking head on the ground, too. It was an awesome-looking Made in Japan, too. But it was, like you said, it almost happened so organically that, like, it caught Shingo kind of by surprise, and he was like, all right, fuck it then, yeah, I'll finish Mm -hmm. you off, like, let's go.
1: What an amazing setup to finally hit that move in a New Japan ring. And, you know, Kevin Kelly called it the last of the dragon. And I'm not going to kill Kevin Kelly. He doesn't know. All right. If Kevin Kelly wasn't sitting home watching Dragon Gate tapes, which he wasn't doing for the last 10 years, the moves look similar. But the last of the dragon starts as a fireman's carry. And the main Japan has like the, the clutch underneath the leg and all that. It's a slightly different, mm-hmm. It's the same move, but it's a variation. So I really wish Kelly would have nailed the call, but I, I don't want to kill him because again, it, it's essentially the same move. But if you were a bit, and a lot of people probably didn't even notice and thought it was Alaska, last, they, you know what I mean? But if you're a big Dragon Gate fan, you instantly recognized that holy shit, he has never used this in New Japan and he busted it out in the big spot. So that was a huge spot. Um, totally would have bought that if I wasn't spoiled. Unfortunately, uh, my plan was to go social media dark. Rich, I woke up. Oh, I, I feel like up,
0: I'm to blame. Am I to blame for this?
1: I picked up my phone to check the time, but, like, the Twitter app was open. <sighs> <laughs> and the first thing i saw was your tweet <laughs> saying, oh but,
0: I do. That but it's me. not
1: your fault like you know that's it's, it's totally i don't bl- listen it's my fault i left a twitter app open when i went to sleep you know what i mean so it's like just terrible luck um but you know i, I totally would have bought that <laughs>
0: i did the worst the actual the worst spoiler that i did this entire week um was i i dm the person that won our our, our super juniors pick them Uh, Gareth is his name. So I DM'd him and I said, "Hey, congratulations on your win or whatever." And he went, "Oh no," because apparently his uh his DMs go to his like his his home screen or whatever. So he gets a DM where I said, "Hey, man, you won, awesome!" And he knew because he knew like where he had to like what had to happen for him to win. (laughs) <laughs> the pick of yeah. and it needed to be walked right, right. winning. And he was just like, Ah oh, fuck. And he's like, God damn it. I stayed off. I did everything perfect, and then your DM went to my home screen. And I was just like, Oh god, I feel so terrible. So that I felt right, oh yeah, bad. So- I, I spoiled a few people this uh, this, this you, year, so-
1: sir, are a dick.
0: That's what you are. <laughs> I was congratulating him on his victory. So that was
1: that's the guy who won? Yes. All right, I'll tell you what. Does he listen to the show?
0: Oh, of course, yeah, he's listening right now.
1: I'll tell him right now. I'm gonna give him two free months of the Patreon. Hey oh wow, damn. I give him two free months. So you get free months to the guy who came in last place too, right?
0: I did. Yeah. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't responded yet. So if you were listening right, to this, well, okay. uh, I, I did, uh, I did at you on Twitter. I couldn't DM you, but uh, if you're listening to this uh, man who came in last place, you know who you are. Uh, please uh, DM us. Cause we want to give you a free month for being uh worst of the super juniors so like being very awful. bad too like 50 he had like 51 and the leader had like 89 like like real bad like does not any of the bonus points Guess none of the block winners correctly just like absolutely terrible performance by him so we wanted to give him something to do
1: you know whoever you are you fucking stink i mean that's <laughs> because look at it this way he got like twenty three points from the two guys who dropped. Down. Right, that's what I mean. Like, what would it have been like
0: had he not done? Have we not given him every doki and every flip Gordon match and all that sort of stuff? It would have been you know just unbelievable. But yeah, I gotta let, let me. I, I wanted to check it out once one sec to see who he picked because I actually forgot to look at who he picked for like his block winners or whatever. But it had to just be like absolute shit for him to not get like any of the runner ups. He got zero bonus points. So none of the runner ups. And none of the winners for any of the blocks, which is just a very uniquely uh, bad performance.
1: So that's a horrible performance. He, he, I'll tell you what, if he's listening, he gets two free months. Oh,
0: look at this! Give on, on Joe Lanza.
1: How about that? Right, so, let's,
0: um, let's see who we picked here, uh, <laughs> to win these. Uh, so he had Marty to win the entire thing, uh, and Robbie Eagles to be the runner-up. So we had a Marty <laughs> Robbie Eagles main event of best of the super juniors against. who? Uh, uh, yeah, Marty and Robbie Eagles was his uh,
1: Marty and Robbie,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how you come in dead last is you yeah, predicted yeah. <laughs> Marty girl and Robbie Eagles to be the right. uh, the super dude. Hey, he shot a shot, you know, he's like, Hey, look, I'm doing this, and if no one else predicts this, it's gonna be all me. Uh, yeah, he had Marty winning the A block, the A block runner up, he had Jonathan Gresham <laughs> as his runner up. Uh, B block winner was Robbie Eagles, and B block runner up was Bushy. What the f- <laughs>
1: Jeff, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff,
0: (laughs) Jeff, but anyway, Jeff, if you're listening, please, uh, please DM or or add us on Twitter and we'll give you two free months of, uh, voice wrestling Patreon for your, uh, your service in our last place
1: effort. You know what Jeff was, I tell you what Jeff was doing. He was taking the daily fantasy approach of, Pick something no one else has. Yeah, exactly that's then-
0: what I said. Yeah, like if yeah. Bushy hits, like you're going to be the man. Like nobody else is going to pick Bushy as the runner-up, or no one in the fucking universe is going to pick Robbie Eagles, uh, you know, as the B-block winner. So if it happens, you hit on it and you're good to go. So, so I, I get it. I, I get the approach there. It's not a, it's not a bad approach. It's just uh, uh, it didn't work out this time.
1: So. Yeah, everybody takes Clayton Kershaw. So, you know, not to take Clayton. Kershaw. You take Anthony D. you get lucky when he goes seven good innings. That's he's taking the daily fantasy approach, but uh, but yeah, so but didn't work out really bad, but uh, but yeah, so what were we talking about? Uh, yeah, so the match look, a tremendously executed match. Uh, I thought Shingo was just over the top, tremendous in the match. Uh, Will was Will, and you know, the the super. Oscutter cutter finish where he did it off the top turnbuckle. Another thing, uh, another minor detail with Shingo, there was one uh, moment in the match where he was, uh he was doing the old wobbly leg, Terry Funk selling, mm-hmm. but, but not quite as exaggerated, but just, and you know, gla- glassy behind the eyes too, as the match wore on Shingo is so fucking good. How good is this guy? But anyway, so he's doing the wobbly Terry Funk selling and he's just all out of position and he, and, and all, and, while he's doing this, Will is setting up an Oscar right? And he's way out of position for it. But fuck if he didn't end up right where he was supposed to be when Will came off of those ropes. This was two – I mean, people talk about these, some of these goofy guys who they say are great – this was truly two great pro wrestlers who know what the fuck they're doing having a great pro wrestling match. That's what this was and it gets so silly sometimes where people are like you know it, 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 ah, he can't spray t- and then you watch a match like this and you just see how so far off the reservation these people are and have no clue what they're talking about when you look at a match like this that is so perfectly executed and the intricacy involved in everything and to to and the level of selling and progressive selling that the two of them did particularly Shingo this is this match was pro wrestling at a completely different level. These are two guys that are the 0.01 percentile. There's like less than 10 people on earth better at this, all facets of this, than these two guys are. And it all came together in an incredible package of a match. For me... We'll see where it all goes. Shingo would have won if it were up to me. Right. Let, let's talk
0: about that, because I think that's the thing that, you, you know, now after the match, we've, we've kind of gushed over. We'll give our ratings here in a, in a sec. But uh, the result of the match, I was I was kind of shocked with, with Will winning, Will, you know, breaking you know, Shingo's undefeated streak. You know, Will obviously moving on to the title match with Dragon Lee at, at Dominion, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. To me, every sign pointed towards Will doesn't need this, Shingo does. And I was a little surprised to see Shingo lose. And 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 I'm not saying that like it's all over and they fuck this guy up royally and, and forget it, but it just it, it seemed like an unnecessary diversion. And and it seemed like Will had already sort of progressed past the juniors. Yes, he was in this tournament, yes, he was kind of here, but it seemed like a very good opportunity to just have Shingo beat him and Will can just kind of do whatever he was gonna do, whether it's enter G1 or go to the never open way title or do what because we've already had this story, we've already had Will sort of graduate maybe not fully, but, but but sort of showed that graduation. Shingo, we haven't seen that quite yet. And, and for him, it felt like the great story would be, you know, he wins this, he wins the title, and then when he loses, that's sort of his, okay, I'm done with the juniors and now I move on or whatever. Or whatever happened to him, you know, a few months from now, it would be it for him. He would move on and 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 go become a heavyweight or whatever. But now it's kind of muddy. Like, Will Ospreay's back in the in the junior heavyweight mix, like, presumably, and we'll talk about it with the Dominion thing, like, presumably, he has to win the title now. You can't say I'm putting this company on my back, and I'm here to be the best junior champion ever, and then, you know, not win the junior title. Like, that's going to be a little silly. So I guess he has to win that title. And it seems like, it just seems like he's graduated past that point, and it felt like Shingo still had a little bit more upward trajectory there and and I don't know, it's a little confusing for me. What would you would you kind of think of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, if it were up to me, Shingo would have won. I talked about it behind the paywall before the match. I but I didn't think either finish was going to be a mistake. Because I kind of see the logic in Will winning too because if he is moving up, which he obviously is, it's kind of weird to go out on a loss to a to a junior. But at the same time, they're both going to be moving up anyway. I, look, I I would have had Shingo win the bout. But here's the thing. Let's see where they go now, okay? Shingo, after the match, said he was humiliated, and he'll never be humiliated like that again. That's a total Shingo promo, by the way. And he said he wanted to prove himself right away against the heavyweight, and they're giving him Satoshi Kojima at Dominion, which... Let's face it. If someone would have told you that I booked that match, you'd believe him. I mean, yeah. That's this too
0: whole dominion. Me. We're going to talk about this dominion here. Thank you. Gato for giving us the pencil for one night, because this yeah. is like, God, this show is like exactly what you and I would have booked. So thank you, Gato. We we appreciate it.
1: So it's like, do I think Shingo will be hurt by losing that match? No. Um. You know, and it's like, if Will is moving up, then I guess he had to have that win. But look, I, I don't know. I, I, again, I don't think it's a mistake. And here's the thing too. I trust the booking. I have no reason not to trust the booking in this case because we're talking about something when, when, when Gato or Jado or both of them or whoever the fuck, when they care about something in that company, it's always well-booked every single time. And what we're dealing with here are two guys that they're building as potential main eventers. They have a track record a decade long of not fucking that up. So why would I not trust what they're doing here with both of these guys? They've handled Shingo perfectly all the way through. Why do I think it's all going to collapse now? There's no history of them blowing it uh, with with uh, with their top programs and their main eventers. There is none. There's no history of that. So they get the benefit of the doubt where other bookers don't because they've been so great at their job. And I know they're not going to screw up Will because it's very obvious that Will is a top project of theirs right now. So. Whereas I would have had Shingo win the match. I, I, again, like I said before, this isn't second guessing because I said it before. really don't think either way was a mistake. I, I, but you know me, Rich. I love dominance. I love long title reigns. I love wrestlers who just beat everybody. So I like long undefeated streaks and guys who just kick ass. So that's probably why I was leaning towards Shingo to win the bout in that scenario.
0: Yeah, to me, it, it, again, it's not like a life or death thing. Like I feel like everything's still going to kind of work out a little bit. But yeah, I, like like you said, I think the better story for me and, and the story that I wanted to kind of go through is just Shingo just being this absolutely dominant guy that just will not lose and not lose and not lose. And and they've told that story for a little bit. I mean, they've told the story, God, for what nine months at this point now. So you know, I'm not. I don't hate that they're going in a little bit of a different direction, but I, I mean, would it surprise you again if he doesn't lose again now until you know you know when he graduates? Like,
1: well, I'm just going like, to ask you if he goes out there at Dominion and wins a neat and tidy 11-minute match against a respected third-gen guy like Kojima. One who could still go. You know they're going to have a good match. Battle of the Lariats, right? Okay? It's like, and he he symbolically beats his first heavyweight in New Japan. How do you feel about the loss? Then it's almost like, all right, he lost this great match Mm -hmm. to another guy who's going to be a heavyweight main eventer. It's really not that big a deal. Even if I personally love the idea of a guy like never fucking losing.
0: Right, right. It's a totally different story if he loses to like Taguchi or whatever. You know, there's no upward mobility, yes. but you know that it's Osprey who, who these dudes will have a heavyweight title match, or they'll, they'll have a heavyweight match, I should say you know, in like a year, you know what I mean? Like next G1, these two dudes are gonna be facing each other again. So it's not like, yeah, as it doesn't completely this, well, undermine that, it. Yeah,
1: it doesn't. And as good as this match was, I could see them having another rematch at a major show, whether it's King of Pro Wrestling or a Tokyo, one of the two Tokyo Dome. You need a lot of matches to fill those two Dome shows. I could easily see these guys rematching on one of those Dome shows for like the Never title or something. Yeah, Can't right. you see that? Oh, absolutely. And like And like Shingo getting his win back. I could totally see that. So, you know, it's a booking decision that, you know, I don't think there was a mistake here. Now, if Shingo goes to Dominion and loses to Kojima, I'm going to raise an eyebrow a little bit. Of course, I want to see how he loses and all that and what the fallout is. Oh, so the but strongest then,
0: arm. He's going to lose to the strongest arm, Joe. Come on.
1: <laughs> right. Because if the idea is that he's taking a lesson from the strongest arm, <laughs> I, I may not, you know, I have to see how it plays out. I wouldn't again, I wouldn't do it. He should win that match. That match should be the old getting the heat back from losing the last match. You know what I mean? And showing that he could beat a heavyweight. And beating a guy that you can beat like a drum, and it doesn't matter at this point. At this point, Gojima's career, he could lose every match. It doesn't matter. But but you know, so anyway, the booking, I I you know, I I want to see where it goes moving forward. I really don't think there was a wrong decision here. And honestly, it's like <laughs> I I was kind of rooting for both of them. It's weird because I saw like, man, it'd be great if Shingo beats this fucking little prick too. But then I was thinking it'd kind of be cool if Will's the one to end it, you know? And the match was so good that I really didn't give a shit who won by the time it was over.
0: That's yeah, kind of where I was, too. I was just rooting for both these guys to just have an incredible match. That's kind of all I sort of did. But, yeah, I, I would have preferred Shingo, but, yeah, like we said, we'll, 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 it's all about the follow-up, and, and and we'll see. Yeah, of course, if he goes into Dominion and loses and, and Will doesn't win the junior title, it's going to be like, okay, well, I don't know why that will happen. But uh, I have a feeling both men are going to uh, be victorious at Dominion. But we'll get to that uh, in a bit here. Joe, we have to give our ratings here. Grapple, uh, the users on Grapple, G-R-A-P-P-L, of course, sponsoring this uh, review, uh, 4.85, almost 5 but not quite 4.85. Joe, what was your rating?
1: No, no, no. You first. Rich.
0: (laughs) I'm a coward. Uh, 4.75. I I couldn't, I wanted to. Joe, it's one of those things you always talk about where you're ready to do it. You say, ah, this was awesome. This was incredible. If it doesn't, if it doesn't feel right to go the full five, I just don't do it. And I just didn't, it just didn't feel, I don't know. There was just enough stuff that just didn't, I, I don't know. There was just little things. I don't know. I just didn't feel it. So I, I, I'm sorry, but I am a, I'm a 4.75. So of course, despite the fact that we just got done gushing over for 20 minutes, I fucking hated this match, but Joe, did you fucking hate it as much as I
1: did? You are so. such a coward.
0: <laughs> you really am. I know. You're
1: such a coward. What is the big deal? It's a be match rating. I know. Rating.
0: I know. Just
1: throw the fucking fight. Rich Krage. Rich the coward crache is all i have to say
0: yeah i i I know i admit it and and like i put that up i put that tweet up as i was like kind of on my way to work and you know i was doing work and 20 minutes later i come up and people are just living at me like you fucking coward you're a piece of crap like like jokingly like a lot of people were like coming to my defense and i was like no it's fine it's just a joke or whatever but uh i did find it funny how many people were just like oh come on just go with the five (laughs) like it is kind of lame the 4.75 but hey whatever go with it
1: (sighs) So anyway, I went 4.75 on this. you fucking <laughs>
0: unbelievable. I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were going to go five because you're the nah, biggest coward of them all.
1: It's the same thing. I just didn't fe- listen. For- you to-
0: know it. You know it. You know when yes. it's over. The second the when one, two, three, you go, that's a five-star match. Boom, ready to go. And there's exactly. never a doubt in your mind. You, you click it. Yes. You, you type it. You do whatever. You know it. And, and I just didn't. I, I didn't have it right here. I debated, like you said, that weird debate of, like, was this a five-star match or not? And if you have that debate, it probably isn't.
1: If I have any hesitation whatsoever, I don't go five. I have to feel it instantly. And listen, this was a great match. It might be my match of the year when it's all said and done. You know? And it's like, I think people just haggling over a quarter star it,
0: yeah it, at this it's point so it's over much. especially now that dave's dropping like 4.7 or five what do you do a 5.75 or something like that for someone like a five and three quarter like we've lost it we've lost all control with this thing it's just over except for Grapple. grapple has yeah. got it figured out
1: this is a it's an all-time match it's a great match i just didn't feel five as soon as it was over so uh same as rich
0: all right, so go on to the U.S. title match here. We had John Moxley making his New Japan debut against Juice Robinson. Joe, uh, I went four with this match. Uh, the Grapple users went four point two. Uh, Would you go with this match? And, and and what'd you kind of think of Moxley's debut in uh, New Japan?
1: Four stars, and I think the uh, the Moxley debut was tremendous. And there was so much. This was his this was his debut period. Uh, right, his first match. Since leaving WWE, and he comes in through the crowd just like he did at Double or Nothing. So oh, dude, I love
0: that. By the way, I, I I wanted to mention that aesthetic of him coming through the crowd because you look at and and it's so, you know, in New Japan, of course, you have Zuka who, who did it, but otherwise, it's like everybody just comes down the ramp or whatever. And it was such a a superstar performance for him to come out there, and you could see the crowd immediately bought this dude as a star because he came through the crowd, not through the the the, the ramp. So I love that.
1: Yeah, and it's the one piece of Shield symbolism that he's retained. And the rest of it, I mean, it was you know he comes out in wrestling trunks, and it's like you forgot what this guy looked like in wrestling trunks because he's been wrestling in street clothes for five, five, six, seven years or whatever it is, you know, first with the cargo pants and the damn bulletproof vest or whatever, and then with the jeans and the and the, and the dirty wife beater, and it's like you know he's out there in um, in in wrestling trunks, and the other thing like little little wrestling shoes instead of big bulky you know, boots that he's been, not even wrestling boots. Like those shield boots were like military boots or something that he was wrestling in all that time. And he just, it was symbolic because he looked like a wrestler again. He didn't look like some caricature or, or, and you could tell it was like, he probably wasn't happy wrestling in street clothes all of that time. You know, uh, whether it was the shield look or the goofy look they had him in later. And he he just, it, it felt like a guy who was happy to be a wrestler again you know and and he makes his entrance and then the thing about Moxley is i think we all know that he's not any kind of great wrestler i think we could everyone can agree on that we've said it many times and it's like there's a lot of things he does that are awkward like sometimes he'll he'll hit the ropes and he'll take these little choppy steps before he goes into a spot um his his execution is never the smoothest he's not a great pro wrestler and i think that in this match we saw a hint of what his style is going to be. And if it stays like this, it's not going to matter that he's not a great pro wrestler. And he hinted at it in his podcast appearances, uh, both with Wade Keller, that I listened to both parts this week, and also with Jericho, obviously. He is going to fight. And he's going to bring that style. And as soon as he was punching Juice Robinson in the forehead, trying to bust him open hard way, I was like, this is a whole new uh, deal for John Moxley. And this is exactly how he could not wrestle. In uh, in the previous company, and it suits his style to perfection. It's completely different from the it's the antithesis of the typical New Japan main event style. Mm-hmm. So much like so much like Chris Jericho, he comes into his company and brings something completely different to the table, which is which is also great. And then he just went out there with Juice Robinson and beat the living shit out of him for however long this match was, and of course wins the U.S. title. So this was just. Kind of, there's a lot of different emotions watching this. It was surreal. It was incredibly interesting. It was holy shit, this guy's going to fit in New Japan like a glove. And it's this guy is the biggest star in the world right now. Those are all the things I felt. When I was watching this match,
2: yeah, it was kind
0: of the similar thing as well. I mean, I, I said him coming through the crowd was awesome because it was just a, a, a superstar aura right off the bat. But then the other stuff that I love too is, like you said, he gets in the ring and he's he's wearing the trunks. I'm like, all right, what are we gonna do here? And then they just immediately start brawling. He just starts doing stiff punches to his eyebrow, and I'm like, fuck yeah, dude, here we go. Because it was he, he's personifying a little bit of what that the character we saw in the videos so is like, kind of a barroom brawler, and that's awesome because that that hides all of Moxley's. You, you know negatives which is you know crispering work athleticism all that sort of stuff he's not that sort of guy but he's really good at fucking fighting you know what i mean and that's what he kind of talked about in jericho podcast too is like he wanted to be that when when they said hey we're going to turn your baby face or you know you're going to be heel again and all this sort of, like uh, every the post shield he just kind of wanted to be a dude that just brawled like just kind of a, a, a no music no frills brawler and and that's exactly what he was here he came out with as you said just innocuous wrestling boots uh, black trunks and just came out fucking punched and brawled and I was like here we go like he looked like a blood sport guy you know what I mean like he looked like a guy who walks out on blood sport during WrestleMania weekend and I was like here we go like that's exactly you know what his character should be and and like you said it's so different because it's not what you're getting uh, in New Japan main events. so we're gonna talk about that with this show too because there were three matches at the top of the show that I think were all super different matches with stars yeah. that all work differently which I think is a really cool yeah. part of what what I love so much about New Japan in 2019 so far and what and I love about this.
1: Flies, and kind of flies in the face of this idea that that it's always the same house. Well, because
0: those people don't watch. So, you know, that it's fine. Like, you just hate and don't watch. It's it, you know, you you come with tired ass fucking takes that aren't aren't true. And and yeah, so you, you immediately expose yourself as an idiot. So like the Will Osprey doesn't sell people. Whoa, it's like, yeah, well, you. I'm
1: you just can, saying, you. I'm just saying, you, you know, can. especially it's this show.
0: Here. Like this show, you can't like when we talk, we'll, we'll get to it when we talk about Jay White and Tanahashi, but three like entirely different matches back to back to back here. It's just like it you can't even. That argument is... Rich, the shooter! (laughs) shooter, I'm getting rid of that coward. I didn't like the coward one, so I'm moving on to the shooter instead. But uh, no, I mean, really fun uh, match between these two guys. I think the reason I went four is it maybe went a little too long. Like, there was a point where I was like, all right, guys, let's go home here. Like, we got it. You're using the tables. You're using that sort of stuff. But I liked it because it was a fight. But it just did seem like it kind of went a little longer than it needed to at 24 minutes. But uh, I did want to talk a little bit about Juice as well because we see Juice come out uh he, he's comes out to the normal entrance for the most part not really dancing all that much it's kind of serious all the build-up was talking about how hey i'm not the 22 year old you beat an fcw like i'm not that guy anymore i'm a new guy and i'm a new person and i'm gonna show you and i'm gonna show everybody but he comes out and and he reveals that he has cut off his dreadlocks He now is just normal hair for juice robinson and and he worked this entire match not as the flamboyant juice robinson but as a a a brawler like you know kind of equally brawling with moxley a new man a a guy who you know red shoe says hey get back in the ring and instead he dives off a fucking uh uh, you know balcony uh onto onto his ass he was supposed to get caught by four people but instead he just kind of landed right on his ass uh there was another point too where he tried to do his little elbow but moxley kind of caught him and and he was just kind of doing cannonballs in the tables and stuff it was kind of interesting to see uh kind of the progression of juice but i saw you know i made a tweet earlier today talking about how i love uh, the transformation of Juice and cutting off the dreadlocks to sort of say that is it. You know, I'm no longer that man before. I'm no longer the CJ Parker. I'm no longer kind of the happy-go-lucky Juice Robinson. I'm a new person. Uh, I did see some people not necessarily loving that all that much because pro wrestling, you know, 101 says, oh, no, you can't just cut your own hair. You got to use it in a title match or use it in a uh, hair versus hair match or there has to be a little bit more some symbolism to it. But uh, what do you think of Juice cutting his hair? Did you think it was the right time for it? Do you think he he used it appropriately or would you have maybe changed something a little bit?
1: I think it got a nice response from the crowd, which means it got over. I mean, it's really as simple as that. And I understand your point. And, um, you know, I think Juice's entire approach from his reactions to the videos during the BESA Super Junior Tour on the English commentary to the fact that he approached this in a much more serious manner, include and the haircut was part of that. So, yeah, I, I... I'm totally with you on, on the point you're making about Juice cutting his hair.
0: Yeah. And I think the thing about it too that I I, I, I like that he and, and and maybe some people that didn't watch the build or didn't watch the videos is that the whole point of it was I'm changing for my because I want to. I'm changing to prove to you. So it's one of these things where, you know, if he goes into this match and, and loses to Moxley and the Moxley cuts his hair off or whatever, like Juice is not in any control of that juice looks like an absolute geek here. Whereas this, you know, he lost, but he lost by saying, Hey, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm going to work your style. I'm going to do everything I can to beat you. And I'm in control of my life and I'm in control of my career. And I think that was kind of cool. I think that was a fun sort of symbolism way to say, you're not going to, nobody's going to take these dreads away from me. I'm going to take them away from myself. So I think the way that they played it off is good. Even though if processing One Hundred and One will tell you, and I would normally say, ah, fuck dude, you got to lose a hair versus hair match. You can't cut your own hair, you know, because th- that's sort of the the old school promoter mentality. And I get it. I absolutely get it. But I kind of like the idea of juice sort of being under control of his own um, you know, destiny, and and I'm I, I can't lie, I'm excited to see what Juice does now in the G one, and I'm excited to see if this is truly a new Juice or if he goes right back, you know, the next week to doing his dancing and being happy, go lucky Juice again, or if it's truly like a transformation that we're seeing. And and if it is, like, I know people are saying, oh, geez, well, the dreadlocks were were what identified Juice, and that's what people knew about Juice. And and I agree, but that's maybe not what Juice wants, and maybe that's a down, you know, that's maybe one of the downsides of the dreads is that that's sort of what Juice was known for for his silly hair. And now Juice is kind of wondering, hey, look, I'm at this point in my career. I want to be known for something else. So it's all about the follow-up with this. And I, I'm very, very curious because I was invested in this sort of new Juice Robinson. Uh, not that I wasn't invested in the old Juice, but I, I like this idea of him sort of evolving and growing as, as a character. So I'm really excited to see where it goes. And I, and I hope it is, you know, fruitful and it's not just something that sort of happens. And he's just kind of the old Juice now without dreads. So we'll, we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah. I think with, um, with Moxley, he's a guy who his wrestling is so gritty and dirty and there's a certain grittiness and sloppiness to it that works. But I think as we move along here uh, with him working in, you know, these three promotions that he's working for now and whatever he does moving forward, he's going to have some stinkers. You can see them coming because there were a couple spots in this match that didn't totally land. The, the uh, juices uh, flip dive off the entrance way, basically, he basically flew over Moxley's head.
0: Yeah, I'm so, I'm and, shocked he didn't fracture his tailbone. He he missed everybody. and <laughs> well they missed him too. They it was just a I don't know what happened there, but yeah, not good.
1: And then there was the um the big uh there there was the spot where the table didn't break, where Moxley came off the apron. And then there was a third spot where Juice went for his um uh, you know, his turn what what's the deal that Kevin Owens does too in the corner? The uh cannonball. Oh the cannonball, yeah, yeah. But he tried it. He propped the table up on the guardrail and had Moxley set up on the on the table, and then he whiffed on that and went way over his head, and uh, kind of missed there too. So you're going to have moments like that in Moxley matches that don't. He's he's bound to have a match that just it doesn't connect. That sloppiness and grittiness falls on the other side of the line and isn't good and ends up being bad. We've seen him have matches like that before, so I, I do think there's always a danger with him. In that it just doesn't work. And like you said. He's not super athletic. He's not a great wrestler. He's not super agile. So he doesn't have those tools. So I think he's a guy who. One out of every 10 matches. It's just not going to work out. The other thing about him that I noticed. You really don't realize how big and sturdy this man is. Until he gets out of WWE. And he gets away from all these other guys. Who are all 6 foot 4. He's a big guy. And. I know he said he's been working out like a maniac to get ready for all of this. And he did look, he was in tremendous shape. He, was, he really was. But he's just a big, he's a bigger human than I thought he was. And, 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 you know, I, you know, he's always, you know, standing next to Roman Reigns, who is a former defensive lineman, uh, you know, who got a look from NFL teams and, you know, in WWE wrestling Braun Strowman and Brock Lesnar, you know, y- sometimes it's like, we're always, sh- it's like the Billy Gunn thing where nobody ever realized how huge (laughs) that man was. And I'm not saying he's Billy Gunn big, but you get the idea. Like he's one of these guys who leaves WWE and you're like, wow, this guy's a, a, I never thought of him in that way. I never thought Like Drew
0: McIntyre is literally the biggest human being you've ever seen in your life. When you see him, like in any, he is a mod, like even like, even the normal humans you are like, holy fuck that dude's huge. And like, you know, in WWE, he's like, big ish you know what i mean but like oh my god on indie shows he may as well be fucking andre the giant compared to everybody even his
1: even his width
0: yeah oh he's just like wide yeah he's so fucking wide yeah i remember i i stood like shoulder to shoulder with him he was waiting in line to go do something i was just like oh my god this guy is you know when i when i say shoulder to shoulder he was you know entirely you know foot taller than me but it was like holy fuck like he's just he's just massive he's huge
1: yeah, yeah. So, that, 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 you know, in, in, I remember in Evolve, you'd go to shows and he was, like, teaming with Gargano before they split. And you'd be like, he's, like, double the size of this <laughs> right, grown, right, right. grown man. Like, it's it's shocking how large he is. But, yeah, but Moxley's bigger than I thought, too, and um, which is going to help him. Because if he's going to work these kind of matches, I mean, you know, it, 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 that's the other thing. Can he really go out there and have table brawls every time out? I mean... I know AEW doesn't plan on running a full-time house show schedule or anything like that. And, And, you know, New Japan, it sure looks like he's doing G1. But outside of that, I see him as sort of a special event guy. Yeah. I don't think he to be out there working tags. I
0: do too. I'm a little worried about that G1 run. There was a time in this match; I think it was about 15 minutes in, and, and that'll that'll come. You know, when you get your ring cardio. But like he, it was you know, as the match is going on, he kind of looked down. You could tell he was just like, "Oh, I'm fucking exhausted." <laughs> like, goddamn it! Like we got 10 more minutes of this match to go, and he kind of wiped his face. And you could see that he, you know, and they weren't working like a breakneck pace. And I'm like, "Oh boy, man, this guy," you know, "and and it's nothing against Moxley, the the worker, because I think he's a he's a." very good wrestler. But like you said, there's just little stuff like the cardio, the, the, the athleticism, the, the sort of the, the, the smoothness that we've come to know for New Japan is going to be severely going to be tested for, for, for Moxley if he does do a G1 because that's he's, every single night, man. That's going to be a grind.
1: It's every night. It, it, he's a very good wrestler in what he does. Yeah, exactly. Right. I don't think he's a very good wrestler. Like, he has a lot of flaws, but I think that the thing is it, it was harder for him to hide those flaws where he was you got to work that house style. And the G1 is going to be really interesting for him because he's going to have to... I think he'll have a couple stinkers if, he, if he's in the G1. I think it's inevitable he's going to have a couple matches that are bad. They just don't work. Like, like when Togi Makabe has a G1 stinker, Like I think he's got a couple of them in him where it just doesn't, it just doesn't work out. Makabe is very similar. Makabe's not any kind of smooth wrestler, especially at this point in his career. But when it all connects for Makabe, he can have, go out there and have a good match. You know what I mean? Because But but like that style is very... There's a propensity for that style where it can be bad. So we'll see. His G1, if he is in it, it's going to be a fascinating
0: one. <laughs> I'm really worried, yeah. Uh, yeah, like you said, there's going to be some that I think will really click, and then there's, yeah, man, there's going to be some real duds in there. But uh, we'll see how it goes. But Moxley, of course, wins. He becomes the U.S. Uh, heavyweight champion here. Ajus uh, loses the title. So now uh, we're on to the next steps here. We'll see what ends up happening with Moxley uh in the future as i said grapple users 4.22 for this match so we're we're kind of right in line you and i both have four they're at 4.22 so maybe some people liked it a little bit more than us uh but not too much and then we'll move on to uh, jay white uh versus tanahashi here uh 19 minutes jay white gets the victory uh grapple users 3.9 uh, i'll give my rating here in a bit but i did want to talk about the match itself uh or really what i want to talk about is the the annual I, I i love this man an absolute pro wrestler an absolute worker of all worker hiroshi tanahashi who every single year we go through this exact same thing with Tanahashi, is man works over body part and match. Tanahashi says, or New Japan announces, that that body part is now officially actually really hurt. Uh, Tanahashi posts to social media a very close-up of his surgery scar. Never, you never see his head. You never see the rest of his body. But it's zoomed in. Hey, I got surgery on my whatever. Insert body part here. Uh, Tanahashi returns in the summer. Every single match has worked around said body part. Uh, and then he ends up recovering to, around the G1 and having a great G1. And we all say, oh my God, he recovered from his torn bicep or elbow. I don't even, what I, what is the injury this year? I don't even remember what it's something with his elbow, right? Like, what an absolute worker this guy is. And then, then the minute, a minute into the match, Jay White's stomping on his fucking elbow and throwing it into a hammerlock position and, and tossing it against the ring ropes. And I'm just like, oh, I love it. I just love this Tanashi man, the absolute fucking old school worker. And everybody buys it hook, line, and sinker every single year. So yeah this year
1: the arm and jay white work and arm submission
0: yeah it was the back that one year remember everybody threw him against the guardrail every single g1 and put him on the uh, apron every time it was the bicep two years ago i think if i remember correctly
1: yeah, he's done the knee before.
0: <laughs> the knee, yeah. of course. Everybody doing dragon screws to him and you know, yeah. clutching the knee, the whole G1. It's just, what an absolute worker, man. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if he's, you know, Kevin Kelly. Oh, he, he's told me he's 70%. He's not quite 100. He's 70%. So now he's got a reason to lose the match. And he's, you know, doing the sling blade, but he's holding his elbow because he can't do it all the way. Just an absolute fucking worker.
1: It's awesome. And <laughs> it doesn't really matter if all of these injuries are works or some of them are and some of them were real. It's just brilliant anyway that he does this.
0: It's a great setup every single year. Yeah, it's
1: perfect. It's a great setup, and it lays out perfectly to, uh, sorry, Emily Pratt, but for some storytelling. <laughs> oh, that's
0: a dirty word, Joe. How
1: dare you? I know. How you, dare
0: you. you? What do you mean, story in wrestling? There's no
1: stories in wrestling. Oh, Never, never. Uh, yeah, But, um, you know, and it lays out um, the stories he's going to tell in all of his matches, uh, sometimes right through the G1. So, uh, you know, and this was no different. Jay White I mean, look—it's—it's it's one of those things where, uh, again, completely different than everything else on the show. Completely different than other New Japan main events is what Jay White goes out there and does. He's sleazeball, and it's like technically he won the match clean, but it was after a bunch of shenanigans with Gato and the referee, and but, but he didn't cheat. You know, he just he, he caught him in the end, and he got—and he scored the fall, and he beat him and it's like but we know it was a little dirty but he doesn't care and he'll talk about how he beat the legend and put him away again and all that and and these white matches are just so interesting to me and i love the way that they're worked and he's just not interested right now in going out there and having your typical new japan hot closing stretch and doing it you know the way that Okada goes out there and does it or to give it he does his match and he tells his story, and he gets himself over his way. And I just think it's—I'm uh, someone who enjoys it. And there's a lot of people who don't. Doesn't connect a lot. A lot of people want more action in their match. I understand that. A lot of people don't like the character. I understand that. But uh, but I'm into it. I went four flat on this, and um, I thought it was just—I, you know, when he gets these like flash pins at the end of these matches. You, know, you go back to Tokyo Dome with with Okada. This one and there's others. It's like it just I, I smirk. It like puts a smile on my face. I'm like that. God damn it is some good fucking pro wrestling.
0: Right. He's a troll. He's he's a he's a he's a chicken in in some ways, and we don't see it very often in Japan. Like the I don't want to say a chicken shit heel because he's not exactly that because he wins yeah. like legitimately. But it's like annoying. It's like oh really? Like that's on one. Yeah. yeah. It's like God, come on. Like no. Like he's not really actively. Like we saw that with the last year's G1 where he's like cheating to win, he's not necessarily cheating to win, he's just fucking winning. And you're like, No, come on, that no, that just hit, with the roll up, like, Come on, get out of here, man! Like, hit your big move. The, like, he's
1: not the honky tonk, man,
0: right? Right, it, it,
1: it's it's you know, he's it, it's just he's he'll take he's, it anyway. He's, he's just
0: he, whatever, yeah, whatever way he can win, he's gonna win. And he doesn't care if it looks awesome while he's doing it, it does, he doesn't care if he doesn't hit his good move and, and go to the middle of the crowd and pose or whatever. He just wants to get out of there with the fucking win. And it's 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 kind of cool in, in some ways. And I, I i like the offense too, I've really kind of grown on it is you know it's dull at times I, I i totally admit that but it kind of lulls you in and then he always just kind of bursts out with these you know counters and okay and, that, and that's what we talked about during you know the wrestle kingdom show as well is that like He's this weird sort of wrestler, and it's a weird style where he's never, even when he's off, even when he's on offense, it never feels like he's on offense. It feels like he's always kind of fighting from underneath, always sort of countering your counters, always sort of working to what you want to do, and then just sort of finding ways to get around it. And then, yeah, he just then rolls you up and pins you, and you're like, oh, what the hell? Like, I had the entire match. Like, how the hell did he do that? And, and even when he's like, You know, even on the offense, it's like you know, it's very dickish offense. Like he knows that the arm is hurt, so he just fucking stomps on it. Or he just kind of kicks it. He's just like doing little stuff like that. So I I love him. He's just an absolute great heel. Nobody in the crowd likes him at all, which is perfect because it's 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 perfect sort of trolling heel stuff. And it's just yeah, I I, it's clicking with me definitely. Uh, So I I went four and a half or four and a quarter with this. I should say not four and a half, uh, four and a quarter with this. I really really liked it, and I thought uh, I'm excited to see G1 uh, the G1. Uh, for Jay White as well, because I think there's going to be a lot of fun matches there. We saw kind of chicken shit stuff last year, and I think this year we're going to see hopefully a progression uh, uh, with him.
1: Yeah, see, I didn't really like his G1 last year. There were a couple matches I liked, and the others that kind of got tiresome.
0: Yeah, um, no, I hated it. I hated it, too. It got a little annoying. And we, on, we a night in, night
1: out, on a night-in, night-out basis, uh, you know, but but, you know, one big match per month, you know, I it's it's and it was overly it
0: yeah, exactly. Was... He was trying to get that character over last year, yes. and that's that's kind of yeah. my point is that like he was doing now it for over. every new town. Right. Hey, this is my character, and if you right. watched all whatever amount of G one shows, you're like, oh Jesus, this again. Whereas now this year, I don't think he has to do that. So I think you're going to get a little bit of an evolution where no, he's not going to be winning matches. You know, by posing in the middle of the ring with a, a one two three easy like it might be a lot of roll ups, it might be that sort of stuff, but it's not going to be sort of super chicken shit heel stuff like he was doing last year where he was really over the top of like, hey, I'm a heel, I'm bad. Like, I don't think we're going to get that that much this year, which is is, is definitely good.
1: Yeah, I, I agree.
0: All right, so I want to kind of breeze through because we, we're, we're, we're going pretty late here. and we got some stuff to talk about here. So I want to kind of breeze through some of these other matches here. Uh, Dragon Lee, Shota Minu, Titan. this is the opener uh, of the show, uh, versus Bandito, Jonathan Gresham, Ren Narita, Grapple Fans, 3.07 for this. Uh, Joe, did you watch this entire show or did you just see kind of the bigger matches?
1: I watched the whole show. Okay. It was the the undercard tags. I'll just wrap them up in a bow here until we get to the last one. The, the they, they were all uh, fun and hit the mark, and there was nothing on this match that felt like a slog at all.
0: Okay, good stuff. Uh, Bullet Club uh, was El Fantasma, Robbie Eagles, and Taiji Shimori defeating uh, Roppongi 3K Show and Yo and Taguchi. Uh, Grapple users two point seven three for that one. Uh so pitch
1: quickly on that one. Yeah. In the post match promos, Phantasmo and Ishimori are going to go for the uh, junior tag titles. Oh,
0: cool. Okay? that be fun.
1: And, and the reason that's not at Dominion is because conf- Phantasmo is booked for RevPro that day. So at some point, they're going to do Phantasmo and Ishimori versus Show and Yo. So Show and Yo are off Dominion. Phantasmo is off Dominion. Ishimori is off Dominion. Um, and, and, and it was in that promo as well. Robbie Eagles looked very sad and dejected that Phantasmo picked Ishimori as his partner. So they're going to continue to plant the seeds that Eagles is going to split from these guys.
0: Right, which is probably the best move for everybody. Because we we said, too, that Eagles feels out. It feels miscast to have him be like the second junior in Bullet Club. Because he's much better than that. He needs to be third. third. Oh oh God, you're right. Third, yeah. Between each and more. Yeah. And he's definitely much better than that. So that's cool that they're doing that story then.
1: And obviously, the the plan that makes a ton of sense is if Will moves up to heavyweight, he becomes the chaos junior.
0: Right, right. Yeah, of course.
1: Because he's Will's protege. So uh, that's probably the likely. The other thing that people are talking about is because he was, you know, Phantasmo and Eagles beat Will. So when Will beats Dragon Lee, and I think he will, because um, you're not, how can you have him lose to Dragon Lee now after winning that match? So when Will wins the junior title, you could have him defend against Phantasmo on the UK show and Robbie Eagles on the Australia show because those are the two matches he lost in Super Junior.
0: Right. Also, oh, that's perfect booking right there. Yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, all right, we well,
1: together with this, it does,
0: yeah. Every, everything, nothing, everything matters, and we always say that every a random best of the super juniors victory is gonna matter four months later or whatever. And it's 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 perfect that they do that, yeah. Uh, Ishii, Yano, and Yoshihashi, uh, along with Jason Thunder Liger and Tiger Mask defeating uh, Suzuki Gun, Suzuki, Taiichi, Kanamoro, Zack Saber Jr. And Doki, I feel like this is the last time, unfortunately, Joe, that you're going to be able to talk about Doki. Uh, So wave goodbye to Doki. I
1: think they might hire him.
0: You really think so? I had somebody ask me that on a QA and a on on Patreon, and I was just like, I don't know. You really
1: think they're going to hire this guy? I think they might use him. Like, he might not be a contract guy. Because a lot of these guys, believe it or not, aren't contract guys. But I think they might use him because he's a perfect pin eater for the – and he did well enough on the back end of the tour. I wouldn't be – put it this way, I wouldn't be surprised if they use him.
0: Okay, well, we'll see. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll learn old. how to say his name uh, at some point uh, during that. But
1: And we continue to trend towards Liger, Suzuki, but just not on Dominion.
0: So. Right, Exactly. We'll have to wait a little bit more for that. Uh, Grapple users 2.7 for that one. Uh, Lij, Bushi, Evil, Sonata, and Naito defeats the Great Bash Heel team of uh, Togi Makabe and Hanma, of course, uh, also teaming with Kota Bushi and Toa Hanare. That got a 2.9 on Grapple. Uh, I did not see that match. Anything of, of note there? Or just Naito and Ibushi kind of playing up their, their match at Dominion.
1: No, those first, um, what is it, three or four, those first four matches or whatever it was were all in, like, the three range, um, you know, so the so grapple users are accurate. They were all fun and easy to watch. Now, the next one with Okada and Romero uh, beating Villain Enterprises with Brody King taking the fall, that match was the best of the undercard tags. i probably go about three and a half on that. Grapple went 3.22. Brody King impressed the shit out of me on this tour. He's been very good in Ring of Honor and he was very good on this tour, and he was very good in this match. I think Brody King is a guy that they should book moving forward.
0: Yeah, I'll take the L on that, because he was a guy that I definitely was just like, oh gross. Have like, you been impressed with him? I have, I have. I've been watching him you know, live a few more times uh, and, and, and enjoying it, and, and yeah, his Ring of Honor stuff has been very good as well. So maybe he's a guy that it seemed like a lot early, but I think he's starting to kind of get it, and, and we always talk about, too, like, you know, it's one thing to kind of work the indies and work with guys of your level and whatnot, and, and that's kind of what he was doing for, for a little while, but now he's working with, like, super workers, he's working with top-tier talent, both, you know, in Ring of Honor and New Japan or whatnot, and I think we're starting to see that kind of emerge from him, too, that he's improving and sort of understanding his style. This thing, it, you know, it takes a while. We always kind of think everybody's ready to go, and they're just what they are going to be forever, and it's never the case. Like, guys move and evolve or whatever, so I was a little too early in my judgment of Brody King, and, and I, I I do feel a little bit bad for that, so I'll I'll take the L on that because, yeah, I have been impressed by him for sure. And uh, anyway, that was the Best of the Super Junior Finals. A pretty fun show overall. I did want to talk about this. Uh, uh, the grapple, uh, they were nice enough to kind of provide us with uh, a nice way to kind of put a bow on the Best of the Super Junior. So we asked for this a few weeks ago and it took a little while to kind of get everything together uh, and they wanted to wait for the final as well. But we wanted to know the ratings by individuals. So every single match that this particular wrestler had during Best of the Super Juniors, including the finals, what were their overall Grapple ratings? Just to kind of get an idea of, of you know, which guys sort of emerge and if it kind of related with maybe what we thought as well. And we have an article uh, up on the website, two that Ben Fox uh, did for us, where he used his personal ratings and sort of did his power rankings. And, and now we can sort of match it up with this as well to kind of see where things go, but I'll start at the bottom here. And this is the bottom of Ben's as well. Uh, tiger mask uh, at 2.8. And obviously all these are from grapple. Uh, the average ratings from every grapple user. Uh, Taco, which seems a little weird putting him in there, so I get it, but he was at a 2.8 as well. Uh, Doki, 2.9. Kanemoro, 3.0. What do you think about Kanemoro at only 3.0, fourth from the bottom?
1: No, he, see, here's the thing. A lot of his matches were hard to rate because how do you star rate that match against Show that was about you know three minutes long? Right, right,
0: right, right, right.
1: And that was an awesome match, but it's like my thing that I always have with star ratings and why I don't like them and want to get away from them, but you just can't, is how do you rate that? That was a perfect match for what it was supposed to be, but we star rate everything based on the scale that a five-star match is a main event world title classic. And then if you're rating everything off of going off of that scale, some of the matches that Kanemaru had, which were more story-based matches, that landed totally landed. With fans and everything else, you just can't, what do you do with them? I don't even know how to rate matches like that. And a lot of times I don't even rate them. But Kanemura was way better in this tournament than a, than a, and now look, there's nothing wrong with averaging three stars over nine matches. That's the thing with this tournament. I think,
0: yeah, I think that's the the overall thing that I was going to kind of say at the end is like the, the worst guys were like averaging three star matches, which is pretty fucking great. Yeah. You know, the worst guy, Tiger Mask, 2.8, like right at that three-star level. So that's that's pretty cool there. But uh, Bushi, uh, 3.08. Uh, Titan, 3.09. Uh, Taiji Ishimori, 3.16. What do you think about him being as low as he was?
1: Well, he did. He had a good match against Dragon Lee on the opening night, and then he had a good match against Shingle on the final night and just dog shit in the middle, yeah, including sure. arguably the worst match of the tournament against Marty Skrull. And he was hurt. And, you know, it's like they couldn't, I guess he either wasn't hurt to the point where he couldn't work or really would have fucked things up if they pulled him. So he just gutted his way through, but he did not have a good tournament.
0: No, he definitely did not. I mean, he he didn't impress. But yeah, like you said, he's he's hurt. Like, I don't think it's a long-term thing. With Ishimori, he was just kind of coasting throughout this tournament. So hopefully uh, things get back on track uh, for him. Uh, Renarita, 3.17. Uh, Taguchi, 3.28. Yo, uh, 3.29.
1: Taguchi, quickly, he worked a couple of main events and still was in the middle of the pack. Yeah. Not great. But to be fair, one of those main events was against Dalyuki. And, you know, so what are you going to do? But Will Ospreay went out there and had a great match with him. So I don't know. Anyway.
0: Uh, yo, uh, 3.29. Uh, Jonathan Gresham, 3.31. Uh, tournament
1: Gresham. Oh, sorry. Good, go ahead. Good, solid tournament for Gresham. He, he acquitted himself well. And he was never put in a position to have a long uh blowaway match. He was always like first, second, or third up.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that he, you know, all things considered having, you know, what, eight minutes, eight to ten minutes in every single one of his matches, you know, in the, like, the first, you know, the first and the second match of the night is still, you know, average as high as he did, I think, is because we're we're getting into the heavy hitters here in a bit, so yeah. for him to be where he was, I think, is, is definitely. Everyone
1: above him, everyone above him was a heavy hitter,
0: really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marty, uh, 3.34 for uh, Marty.
1: Earl had the dog shit match against Ishimori and then really killed it after that. If you really look at his tournament, he killed it. And the stuff with Brody King got over, and he had a bunch of really great matches. So, And that's dragged down by what I'm sure grapple users hated when it came to the issue. Yeah,
0: I forget what that one had. I don't have the, the, I I can punch it up, but I think they had it at like two or something like that. Like really bad. Like, you know, given that obviously the users really enjoyed this entire tournament when we're you know listing off all these these numbers here. But yeah, that match uh, universally panned. Nobody really enjoyed it there. Uh, Robbie Eagles 3.43, which I think is a very good showing for him. Uh, Show 3.44, he is tied with Rocky Romero, who was also 3.44, and El Fantasmo, who was also uh, 3.44. So Show, Rocky Romero, and Fantasmo all there. Uh, I cannot lie stunned by phantasmal being as high as he was and and i'll i'll admit too stunned by Rocky romero as well we we both kind of thought that he would maybe have a so-so tournament i thought he had a very good tournament and phantasmal i mean jesus christ like we we were laughing at this guy being included laughing at this guy debuting in new japan and he fucking killed it man he just he was he just felt like he belonged and it's so weird because you know he never it just it, i never saw this from him and anything else that i've seen him and, and man he just something about the confidence level something about doing it in the big arenas i don't know what it was but man he just fucking delivered. Who, Eagles? Uh, no, uh, Fantasmo, Fantasmo. Oh,
1: you're up to Fantasmo now. Yeah, I lost you for a second, but um, no, yeah, yeah, Fantasmo. I mean, I talked about it behind the paywall a lot. Like, He's not – I wouldn't call him a great wrestler, but his character is over. Fans have the right kind of heat for him, and in the big spots he delivered. I think people are being – some people are being way too hard on him. Because overall, he was really good in this tournament, and he got over. And if I'm the booker or if I'm the company, it's mission accomplished with that guy. Uh, oh, got- absolutely.
0: No, God, Jesus. You've, you've definitely, like, you've taken a guy that, that for all intents and purposes, could have been an absolute dud there and could have absolutely yeah. just, like, and, and and he's, you know, top five in terms of, like, ratings, you know, whatnot, and, and feels like a star, too, like, getting genuine yeah. keys. Like, yeah.
1: More importantly, they made a star. They made a junior star. You know, there's no question about that. Rich, I thought he was going to flop.
0: Oh, we laughed. You know, we, we were like, dude, these guys know it's El Fantasmo? Like when we when we knew that it was going to be him and he was coming in, we were we were laughing. We we're like, well, why though? Why Phantasmo and and why not Eagles? And what are you guys thinking? What are you doing? What's wrong with you? And and yeah, another L will have to take because he was he was great. Uh, and then we'll get to the top four here. Uh, Bandito, 3.47. Despite being very good Bandito, I don't know. It felt like he just kind of... There were some really, really high points for Bandito, and I think overall I enjoyed his tournament. But for... I, I don't know. I just don't click with him the way other people click with him. I, it's just... It, it's still kind of... I, I, I probably like him more than I did even a year ago, but it's just... I don't know. I just don't get super excited about Bandito matches, and I don't know why.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he he did have... He, he's deserving of, of you know, being in a top tier there because I sure. did enjoy a lot of his matches and bandito's a guy who i was always the one out there on an island saying i didn't really get it entirely with him um but you know i i i thought that i think these this average rating is fair um you know particularly on the back end i mean i thought the match with will was better than the match they had that i saw in new york so um uh, you know that match in particular and then he had the match against uh Ren uh, renderita which was a sneaky good match. So yeah, I think he had a good tournament.
0: All right. Uh, move on now. Top three here. Dragon Lee 3.7 form go over these real quick. And then we can kind of go over uh, each one. Uh, Shingo Takagi 3.87. And your number one, of course, will Ospreay at 4.16. This motherfucker averaged over four stars, nearly four and a quarter for the entire tournament. I mean, this is, this is an all-time great tournament performance, right? For will Ospreay. Like, you really have to, not a stinker in the bunch, like almost everything delivered and some delivered like insane high level. It's just, it's unbelievable the tournament Will Ospreay had.
1: Subscribers know what I think about his tournament. Every single match he had, all 10 of them were notebook matches for me. All of them. That's unprecedented. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Me. It is, it is, you know, it it's like he is so good and it's obvious that I'm just not some, biased, fan of the guy. Look at the average grapple users, 4.16. Average. Yeah, that means, yeah, in campus matches, were better than that. Don't come at me, mathematicians. I know that that's not what it means. But, <laughs> it, but, I mean, you get what I'm getting at here. You know, that's incredible, and it's unprecedented for a tournament. I think you seriously have to talk about the tournament he had as one of the greatest tournament performances of all time. Not just best of Super Juniors. Who does that? Who in every single match of a tournament goes out there, doesn't take a night off and delivers a very good to excellent to match of the year caliber match every single night, even against the likes of like Duyaka. I mean, it's unheard of. You just it's I mean, you just you is unheard of how good his tournament was. And it's like I said before, if you don't like the guy, fine. I'm not saying you have to like him. Here's two things, though. You need to accept that he's going to be one of the biggest stars in the world. It's happening. I'm sorry that you're not happy about that, but it's happening.
0: Yeah, you might want to find either a new hobby or just stop watching New Japan because this is... Uh, if he
1: annoys you that much. Yeah, it's he's
0: not going, going away. <laughs> this is going to happen for a while. He's moving <laughs> to Japan. This is this is happening. So, hey,
1: Look, there's been top stars in the world that I didn't like. You just got to deal with it, okay? The other thing that people have to accept is if you think this guy isn't good, I'm sorry, but you're an extreme outlier. It's very obvious that the rest of the world thinks this guy's pretty great. So it's like sometimes you just got to come to grips. You lost this one, okay? You lost this one. I'm sorry. It happens to all of us, okay? It happens. To, it, it, there's no one listening to this. It hasn't happened to, okay? You keep dragging your feet. You don't have to like them if you don't want to. But take the, you, if you if you don't think Will Ospreay is a good wrestler, if you don't think he's gonna be start, you're taking two giant L's. You lost this one, okay? And I'm not saying that means you have to like them. I'm not even saying it, like it means you're wrong. You're entitled to your opinion. You're on the wrong side on this one. I'm sorry. I, the reviews are in. All right. So, yeah, the guy, this tournament was incredible for him. And I really do think that, look, I've been posing this question and no one has countered me. This is the best, best of Super Juniors tournament of all time. I really believe that. You're not going to find one with this level of quality and this level of storytelling, both in combination and with this depth of quality. And yeah, it helps that they were 10 man blocks and all that. And it helps that. Uh, you know, compared to some of the earlier ones, there's some best of Super Juniors where we don't even know all the results. Let That's alone what I mean. Scored.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, well, I, I think what's remarkable is there. you could probably pick a best of the Super Juniors that you liked because you watched, like, you know, five matches of one from, from many, many, many years ago. But, like, we saw everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, people that watched this watched every single match. I mean, I forget how many matches it was in total, but it was an insane amount of matches we watched every single thing. And at the end, it was just like, fuck, like, there was a few stinkers here, but, like, for the most part, man, everything, the last two three matches almost on every single night definitely the last two matches and and absolutely the main event of almost every single match except for of course the mark and ishimori thing like fucking rocked and then there was just so much good stuff on the undercards too even the just like mundane stuff that was opening like you said just some random gresham versus whoever match was like three and a half or like three and a quarter and it's like that you you didn't get stinkers and that it that is almost as remarkable as anything is that we saw everything and we could still sort of agree ah geez that was all pretty fucking great
1: there were two or three bad matches. May, three might even be high. There were like two matches I'd call bad in the entire tournament. Narita versus Joki and um, Skrull versus Shimori. Then there were a couple Taka matches that were like nothing matches, maybe like maybe two and three quarters or something. But they weren't bad. But it's like, here's the other thing, though. You say that, okay, we got to see everything. As I always say, Rich, that's both a blessing and a curse. Right. OK, the fact that we're in an era where we see everything isn't always a positive because especially in these tournaments, we see the junk and the comparison I always make is you look back at those classic champion carnivals and everybody remembers Kawada and Masawa and, and, and all those dudes. OK, but what nobody remembers,
0: <laughs> Blue Wolf,
1: <laughs> not, not even know Blue Wolf was New Japan, but I get it. But, I but, yeah. but the idea being it's like, but what no one remembers because we didn't see it. Was Wolf Hawkfield and Kamala? Well, that's, too. I and,
0: meant Wolf Hawkfield. That's who I meant. Yeah, sorry. That's how Wolf, right. Wolf stunk up some G1s, I'm sure, too. So
1: Yeah, yeah, there, there you go. But that's my point. Like, we didn't see that. And if we saw all that, maybe we wouldn't have these idealistic visions of these older tournaments from the 90s because that stuff wasn't hitting tape. They weren't airing it on the TV and it wasn't hitting tape and getting sent over here on VHS, you know, because they weren't filming every show. And we were only seeing, think, Look, these great G1s, think we'd, we'd have even better impressions of them if we only saw, like, the 10 best matches in them. You know, it's like, that's how it was a lot of times. So it's like, it's a blessing and a curse to see everything. And this is a tournament where everything was pretty good. And most of it was, like, very good. and Like, a good deal of it was very good. I had, like, 24-star better matches. You know, and it's like, for a best of super juniors, it's a lot. You look back at some of the recent Super they weren't this good. They weren't even close. Guys taking nights off. No one took nights off here. You know, and and you know, I really think it helped that you have such a hard worker like Will Ospreay at the top and Shingo as well. And guys out there to impress like Robbie Eagles and Phantasmo. It just all worked and it was perfect. And it had great storytelling and running narratives and and, and everything else to go along with it. Right down to guys like Rocky Romero.
0: All right, so let's uh, let's preview here the Dominion show coming up. Uh, of course, uh, the ninth. Um, we got from Osaka Joe Hall. We have a preview up uh, at VoiceOfWrestling By the time most of you guys listen to this, uh, Joe, as you we kind of alluded to a little bit <laughs> when we were talking about it, Gato. I, I think I think we can give Gato a free month of uh, the Voice Wrestling Patreon for this one because he gave us the pencil. And Joe, I think we put together a pretty goddamn good show. So you want to uh, want to talk about the show that you booked here. I mean, seriously, this is an Alan Forl draft <laughs>
1: that, that you put together, or Joe <laughs> Gagné,
0: Chris's draft. This is one of Joe's shows from the, that draft. So, well,
1: the Kojima shingle match. It's I mean, like... that,
0: come on, yeah, that that you can't tell me. I, and I wasn't involved in this shadow booking that you apparently did. Um, I don't know why I wasn't invited, but whatever. But that that come on, come on, Joe. That is That's as transparent a Joe Lanza match as Joe match matches I've ever fucking seen. It's booked for me. Like they, it, <laughs> There's no reason no, for that match to happen either. You know what I mean? There's no re- Other than, Joe, who do you want to book? We got these guys left, and you said Kojima Takagi, and they went, ah, all right, fine, whatever.
1: Now, listen, Gato is my pal. I bought him a nice dinner in New York. He thanked me for all the great booking suggestions. He said, he said, Joe, thank you for telling me to push Kazuchika Okada in 2012. It was mm-hmm. the best decision I ever made in my life. Was this life when we before. were
0: in a suite uh, during the MSG show or no?
1: After. Yeah, it was after that. I got him dinner. You know, we went okay, out. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah of course, of course of town. Of course. You know, he thanked me for all the great decisions. I helped him make like believing in AJ Styles, even though the first show bombed and, and, uh, and Okada, uh, beating Naito two years ago at the dome. I told him, I, I, I assured him, I said, listen, it's going to be fine. It's going to
0: be okay. Yeah.
1: I promise you've got six months worth of stories to keep telling with Okada here and you're, and you're going to have the most profitable year in the history of the company. I personally guarantee that. So I took him out to dinner and he, you know, he thanked me and he said, Joe, for all of that, you get to book a match at Dominion. And I said, this is what I want. I want Satoshi Kojima versus Shingo Takahashi.
0: You want the strongest arm versus the lariat. the pumping bomber versus the, the strongest arm. And here's arm, the
1: scary yeah. thing. That's a totally believable thing that I would ask for, too. Like, yes. all of the matches in, in, in this company can make. Well, he, would
0: say, he would say, Joe, for all of the years of service that you've done, you know, needlessly crediting New Japan and needlessly enjoying New Japan, even though right. you knew it was utter shit, Um yeah. <laughs> you know, just to just to get paid with, onto the table and whatnot, or just to kind of get the, the it all was worth it for the Joe. I will give you, I will grant you one wish, <laughs> Gato the the genie grants you one wish, and your one wish was the strongest arm versus the pumping bobber. So yes, which and is it, uh, again ho- totally plausible that that's uh, even if even if it was a normal genie and they said Joe anything you want in the world, I think you would still ask for like an undercard match with Togo Takagi. That's but.
1: what I mean. Like this, like. <laughs>
0: Like That's not even just exactly. Gato giving you a a, 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 a wish yeah. like it's something coming down and saying Joe. You have one wish in this world. Do you want, you know, world peace? Do you want a million dollars? Do you want this? And you would say, I want the strongest arm, baby, versus 100% the puppy bobber. Do <laughs> you want
2: world peace? BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code Champion150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in